The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Warning. Listening to this podcast could be hazardous to your mental health. Side effects could include random fits of yelling go bills to total strangers. For your safety, the entire collective medical community recommends caution when consuming this podcast. You are listening to Buffalo on the Brain with the most unathletic man in Bill's Mafia, Vince Taylor. All right, all right, Bill's Mafia. How are you feeling this week? Much better than last week, I would suspect. Welcome to Buffalo on the Brain. I'm your host, Vince Taylor. You are listening to me on the Built in Buffalo podcast network. All right, before we get started, I do this every week, but I would really appreciate it if you would go out and spread some podcast love. Go send somebody a private message and tell them how much you enjoy their content. Uh, Justice would be a good one to send a note to because he does so much for this network. But your favorite podcasters, the guys that are in your rotation every single week, just let them know. Just let them know. Just send them a note. Tell them you enjoy the work that they do. All right, enough of that. Let's go ahead and get started. We got some exciting things to talk about this week. We do have my own thoughts and ramblings on the Dolphins game that just ended today. We also have an upcoming preview with the Washington football team declassified podcast LE really great conversation with that guy. I was a big fan. He's very professional. He's very respectful, very knowledgeable. That was a good conversation. And I hope you enjoy listening to him as much as I enjoy talking to him. So thank you very much for your time. LE. We also have real or silly with Justin Goddard as we do every single week on this podcast and the mafia hot seat this week. We have Jamie D'Amico over from the Rumblings Network. I've been a fan of Jamie and his ability to break things down for a long time. Also, he's one of the Rumblings guys. They've never treated me bad. Also in the Mafia hot seats, BFF Jeremy, who is absolutely one of my favorite people in the Bills Mafia, host of the Buffalo Bootleg over on the Buffalo Fanatics Network. I enjoy his work. I enjoy his humor. He's very witty and funny. Thank you so much, Jeremy, for giving me a few moments of your time. Basically, on the last moment, I had uh, I scheduled another guest, but I had some work issues that had came up, and I was unable to make that happen. So Jeremy stepped in because he's a trooper, and uh, I always appreciate any time I get to spend with him. So thank you, Jeremy. And one last announcement before we get started. Mrs. Taylor and I will be traveling. So... If everything goes as planned, I should have a short episode for you next week. However, it will not have a Mafia hot seat. I think Justin and I are going to try to put together a real or silly. I may have a Texans guest on, but that should be it. I'm, uh, I'll be traveling, hitting both coasts in the same week, and making it out to the Washington football 
team game in Buffalo. It is Mrs. Taylor's first trip back to what I call the homeland with my people. So uh, looking forward to that. Let's go ahead and get started. Yeah, 35 to nothing. Hey, and the Dolphins are a better team than that. So this is still a quality win. I still think the Dolphins are going to be in contention for a wild card game. Despite, well, not looking very good today. Uh, This puts the Bills technically in first place in the division because we do have a win over the Dolphins. But, you know, there's three teams that are one and one and three teams with one division win. And we still technically have the ability to run the table while the Dolphins and the Patriots do not. So we're technically in first place. But, uh, you know, two games in for whatever that's worth. But I'd rather be there because you can imagine if we'd lost this game, we'd be digging out of essentially almost a three-game hole because they would have a tiebreaker out of us. So, I mean, this game could have went much differently. We saw today, Josh was not sharp. Josh was not sharp. The offensive line, for the most part, played pretty well. There were a few really bad holding calls that we took, but, uh, you know, eh. You know, Devin Singletary's stats on the surface look pretty good. He did have that one good carry to start out the game. We did have five running backs acted for this game. We did get Reggie Gilliam in there for a little bit. It looks like we were actually deciding to try to use the fullback. Uh, you know, I don't know. The run game, besides that one long run from Singletary, I, I was it was I was left wanting. It felt like last year again. We weren't super effective as we wanted to be. Now I have to give the Dolphins credit. They are a good defensive team. And I've been saying since the offseason, they still have the ability to frustrate Josh, and they did. Did it matter that it was in Miami and in the heat and in the humidity and they were taking IVs? I think so. I think it matters a little bit. I think that's an advantage. Like when people come to Buffalo and they're not used to necessarily playing in the, in the cold, like the Dolphins. But, you know, if you live there every day, it doesn't bother you as much. On the flip side of that, that's also true because if you come to Buffalo and you're used to the cold, it doesn't bother you as much as it might the warm weather team. I think there is a small advantage there. Not sure how much it matters, but I think there's something to it. Starlo Tule was active today, and I thought the defensive line played wonderfully. Like, if our defensive line was not able to have its way with the Dolphins' offensive line, I would have been concerned. I would have been very concerned because I don't feel like Dolphins fans like their offensive line very much. We don't like ours very much either, but I think our defensive line was better than theirs, and it showed A.J. Epinesa is going to be a monster. We saw little flashes of that last year. You know, he had the weird COVID offseason, no preseason games, messing with his weight, and so far I like what I see. I I really like A.J. Epinesa. I am just excited about the potential combination of him and Gregory Rousseau going forward. I believe today's win makes Sean McDermott eight and one against the Vikings with the only loss coming in Josh Allen's rookie year, which was basically a job Charles Clay touchdown. There was a debate at the time, but I really believe that was a Charles Clay dropped and that that would have been the difference. Sean McDermott would currently be unbeaten against the Dolphins, which is not easy to do. Like I keep saying, the Dolphins are a quality team. We played poorly offensively 
two weeks in a row. We weren't very good against Pittsburgh. The offensive line was terrible. And, you know, there was a lot of coverage. The The Dolphin cornerbacks did their job today. They did. They did their job. They were pretty good. Um, of course, we still made a handful of plays. But they, they did what they are getting paid to do. They frustrated Josh. And that's what they can do in any given week. It has not worked out that way for them so far. But we have to caution ourselves and not be just overconfident that every time we're going to play the Dolphins, it's going to always be this good. There's a chance they beat us in Buffalo later this year. I'm not as high on their quarterback situation. Oddly enough, when Tua got hurt, I've been saying all offseason long, I think Jacoby Brissett is the better quarterback of the two. And if you look at Jacoby's stats from today, he threw the ball 40 times and couldn't get to 200 yards. So, and I still think he's better. Yeah, I don't know what you're expecting when he just was under duress all day. Yes, there were a few drops that went against him, but he didn't really have a chance. And Tua would have been far worse if if Tua were to stay in the game. Dolphins fans might disagree with me, but my thought is if Tua would have stayed in the game, it would have been worse than a 35 to nothing score. Jacoby Brissett is the superior quarterback. Even if you look at his stats as poorly as he played, you it's hard for me to lay all of the blame on Jacoby Brissett today. I, I don't know what you're expecting him to do when guys aren't open and uh, he's just got somebody in his face hanging on him pretty much every other play. So, I mean, give him a little credit. The Dolphins are going to win a few more games this year. They are not this bad of a team. And I we maybe have got a couple lucky bounces today. Good for us. We deserved them after last week. But uh, let's, let's not write off the Dolphins because we shut them out. I know shutouts are hard to do. I know that their offense isn't that great. But, uh, you know, no Will Fuller. Um, I don't know. I, I think there's reason to believe that the Dolphins are going to be better than that. And I think we can apply that same logic to the Bills. Um, Josh wasn't great today. And am I having my panic meter moving up because it's second week in a row and he hasn't looked like the same Josh as last year? No, I'm slightly concerned and I'm keeping an eye on it, but I'm not panicking because I still believe that he's going to get that out there. And by the way, since we're talking about Josh, I would love to hear your opinion on something because I have a theory that Josh is really good in leading a receiver when they are running at an angle or they're running horizontally. But if you're running a straight nine route, he doesn't have the touch. I think he's really bad at those and he just doesn't necessarily have the touch. I feel like when he completes one to the, to a nine route or a fly route or a streak, it's because it's, uh, it's more lucky than skill. And that that's something he can learn. Sure. I, I'm, but I think that's maybe something that I want to keep an eye on going forward. And that doesn't have to be, I think Josh Allen's trash and I'm ready to write him off. <laughs> No, please don't hear that because I feel like sometimes I have to qualify things because people want to hear things. I, Josh is still a top five quarterback. Please hear that part. But that is a flaw in his game, I think, is hitting those people, those those receivers that are just running straight down the field. They're just, and you got to have the touch to put it over their head. And he doesn't have it. I, I don't think he has it. 
and we've seen him miss a bunch of those in his rookie year. We've seen a lot of those in 2019, and I, I think we're still seeing that. He missed, uh, I think he missed Devin Singletary on the sideline, kind of doing the same thing. But he's, he, when you're running at an angle, I think he's got really good ability to lead you to where he wants it to go. But if he's got to float it over your head, yeah, I, I don't know that he's got that. I think a great example of that would be that ridiculous catch that Stephon Diggs did, got over Xavier Howard, which is not something I think Stephon Diggs is known for. Like He's known for running routes and getting open, but that was a really great contested catch against possibly the league's best covered cornerback. Good job, Stephon. That was awesome. That made my jaw drop because I, I really was expecting Xavier to come down the ball. It was underthrown a bit, which I guess supports my point. Because if Josh is able to lead him and throw, it's not like he doesn't have the arm strength. He's definitely got the arm strength. But if he leads him down the field, he's got Xavier beat. That's a touchdown. All he's got to do is be able to float it over there, which I don't know. It's just something I want to keep an eye on. And please let me know if you think I'm wrong there. But I don't think I am. I think there's probably something to that. One other thing that I found interesting in this game was Rousseau's sack. It looked to me like he was dropping back in coverage. It looked like he was going back into his own, saw the opportunity, and just gave up his assignment and got the sack that way because I, mean, I think Brissett was scrambling. But uh, interesting that we saw Rousseau out in coverage. I guess I hadn't been expecting that, but guy can play inside, guy can play outside, guy can rush you from any angle, guy can also drop back in coverage apparently, so... Uh, I need to get a Russo jersey. As you guys know, if you listen to me consistently, I am 100% on Gary Russo all over the moon. That guy is going to be a stud for us for years to come. Another note that I had, ball security issues. We saw it last week against Pittsburgh. We saw it again this week. We saw Moss with a fumble on a reception. We saw Singletary fumble the ball out of bounds, thankfully, again. But we saw a running back get bench fat last year. I don't know. Had a lot of that going around on this team. Josh had the fumble last week. At least he didn't put the ball on the ground this week, even though he did run it a few times. But I don't know. I, I, I would think that you wouldn't have that happen twice to you in the same game. And then if that were to happen, I don't think you'd have that happen the following week. Uh, so I'm, and you guys, I'm a big Singletary fan. I'm, I love Motor. I think he's our best running back. But that's something I think we need to keep an eye on as well. And now I feel like I'm talking about all the negatives. I mean, one thirty-five oh. But I'm just going through my notes here. We'll get to the good stuff. Speaking of good stuff and running backs, Zach Moss. I was a little bit more impressed with Zach Moss today. He he looked tougher than I think that he did at any point last year. Uh, he did have the two touchdown runs. He had some good second effort. I saw him bounce outside early in the game. So lots of positive things to say about Zach Moss. And I'm, I'm happy to report that because I was, you know, have been up to this point pretty pessimistic on Moss. And, uh, you know, that that's what we want to see. Catching a pass out of the backfield, even if he did fumble the ball away after that. But I think there's a lot to like there. It, that business decisions running back that we wanted to draft. I think he showed up a little bit today. I think there's more of that in him. And I, I think, 
I think there's another level still uh, that I'm waiting to come out of him. But today was very uh, intriguing and optimistic and encouraging. I thought both teams were very aggressive today. Miami's offense was aggressive. They went for several fourth downs and didn't make any of them, I don't believe. And uh, the Bills were super aggressive coming in on a lot of outside blitzes. Teron Johnson got one. On, I uh, got a sack from the outside. I think Micah uh, Hyde got one from the outside. So, And they were unblocked. And a veteran quarterback like Brissett was the one that wasn't picking up on those. Uh, so they were disguising it really well. Great game for Teron Johnson. Great game for Teron Johnson. And I'm so happy to say that because he was so up and down last year and getting benched. And I know that talent's in him. He can make the big plays. Obviously, we know about the Ravens game. Obviously, we know about the Pittsburgh game. But he's in his rookie year, he was just such a great tackler and a hard hitter. And I thought he had a great game last week. And that's two in a row for him now. So lots of reason for optimism there because, you know, uh, I was never really down on Levi to the point where I didn't want him on the team, but I always felt like we didn't upgrade the secondary. And if Teron Johnson can pick it up, that makes me really worry about that a lot less. Speaking of, well, I guess other corners, uh, Levi Wallace very disappointed in that taunting call. Like, yeah, I know we, we see Jordan Poyer and we see other players do the same thing whenever there's a, a broken pass or a incomplete pass. But man, he did it right there in that guy's face and he taunted him. I hope that he learns from that. I mean, he did bounce back and I think two plays later he had the interception, but that's a stupid penalty. And I, I, I don't have to like the rule. I think the rule is silly. I think it's not enforced consistently. I think better players are going to get the calls. That's just another thing that we can complain about. The cool thing to do is always to complain about the refs, but that stupid rule, that stupid rule, Tom Brady is never going to get one of those called against him. And he is one of the worst. Anyway, uh, he, he did bounce back a couple plays later, had that nice interception. That was a good interception. Uh, he was actually played zone perfectly. He would follow this guy up, Passed him off to the safety, came back down low to catch the other guy, stepped in front of the pass. That was a great play by Levi. And for as much as people want to dog on him all the time, he deserves credit for that. That was a really good play. It also looked like the Bills were playing a lot more cover zero and cover one. In fact, there was a couple plays where they were played cover one. And I think Hyde wasn't even on the screen. Like he was just, he must have been 15 yards, 20 yards back. Uh, just, just really aggressive, aggressive press coverage and uh, just getting after. Brissett had no answers, you know, um, as bad as his stat line looked. I don't know what, what else you could have expected him to do. Uh, Josh had that really nice pass and catch to Dawson Knox for a touchdown. Tough catch for Knox. Sliding catch, made the catch because he seems to make all the difficult ones. But uh, really like that pass and throw. Josh has got one every week, even when he's not on his A game. Uh, he did have that other touchdown pass earlier in the game to Stephon Diggs. I don't know. I don't know how Diggs got open. There was nobody within five yards of him. Um, not sure what happened there, but that's an easy touchdown after Josh was kind of scrambling around for a little bit. 
Now, Josh wasn't perfect either. The one pick he had, I wasn't super mad at. Like, yeah, he was trying to fit it in there, and Saving Howard's the, maybe the best cover corner in the league, and he just threw it just a little bit behind him and ended up being a pick. I had to watch that play over like two or three times just to figure out how he got the ball. But if he puts that ball a foot or two, you know, over the other side, that's probably a reception. Um, I don't know. We've seen Josh make that play a lot, and it's unfortunate that ended an interception, but I'm not super mad at that. There was the one later in the game where he tried to throw the ball. Uh, I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was, it might have been Sanders. And uh, at first, I thought it was the safety coming over. It got two hands on it and couldn't pick it, but it was Xavier Howard again. That guy's all over the place. Got very lucky there. Uh, so. Yeah, Josh wasn't perfect, and we're still winning 35-0. That is good. That is good because as bad as we played last week, we still could have won that game, and we have not seen this offense on all cylinders. We haven't seen this offense and defense playing together like this. Uh, so far this season, the defense has been carrying us. Last year, it was the offense. This has been historically a good defensive team, and I don't know. It feels weird that um, – I feel like we have the opportunity and the ability to get both phases of the game playing well. Uh, Tyler Bass did miss a 53-yard field goal today. Uh, Jalen Waddle is going to be a good wide receiver. He's a slot guy, and just imagine what he's going to look like with a better quarterback. Now, he wasn't perfect either. He had a couple drops, but that guy's talented. I'm kind of jealous that they have him on their team. They, they had to go up and get him. They drafted him pretty high. I think they drafted him at six, but um, he's he's going to be someone to watch. He's in our division, so he, he will be a good wide receiver. But yeah, overall, defensive line. Very, very excited about that. As I said, Epineza, Rousseau, and uh, I don't think we heard much from Jerry or Mario. Uh, someone might tell me that I'm wrong, but I don't remember seeing them very much in this game. And that's okay. We have all these different people that can rotate in and out, and maybe next week it'll be the other two. They ended up with six sacks. That's a really good number. Um, Rousseau got two of them. So, Justin, I know you're listening. He only needs ten more for me to be right about that. All right. I think it's all of my notes that I had written down for this game. Um, you know, I guess we could talk about Trey White if you want. He got targeted a few times, gave up a few catches today, some really unfortunate catches. He was right there in coverage. I don't think it was as bad as it looks maybe on the stat sheet, but um, I don't know. On to the Washington football game. I will be there next week in person. And uh, like I said, this will be Mrs. Taylor's first trip to the stadium going to get her indoctrinated she's a colts fan but uh i'm i'm hoping that you guys can help me make her a bills fan by the end of the day all right let's go ahead and go straight to my conversation with le over from the washington football team declassified podcast as i said earlier i really like this guy he was very professional very knowledgeable uh, very respectful. It was just a good conversation, and I hope to do it again. Maybe I'll I'll talk to him uh, maybe sometime in the off season. But without further ado, crosstalk. Vince Taylor and Belton Buffalo proudly present crosstalk, chatting up the opposition. 
Okay, Bills Mafia, it is that time of the week again. I'm joined today by L.E. from the WFT Declassified Podcast. L.E., thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time tonight. How are you doing? I am doing tremendous, and uh, Bills Mafia, Buffalo Nation, I am happy to be here. Let me just say, I love the town of Buffalo. I've been there several times. I got some friends out there. Wonderful place. A little cold for my liking, but a wonderful place. Uh, so thanks for having me on. Buttering us all up. <laughs> <laughs> but let's go ahead and jump. Oh, before we do that, please plug your socials and your podcast, just in case somebody's listening might want to check you out. I am very happy to do that. So you can find us at Declassified WFT on Twitter. And our podcast, WFT Declassified, is everywhere you can get your audio podcast, including Amazon, Spotify, Apple, uh, Google, you know, the major podcast platforms. And um, we talk primarily Washington football team, but, uh, you know, we're always happy to have anybody who likes football come and give us a listen. So check it out. And I will post a Twitter link when I post the episode. So let's go ahead and get started. L.E., Man, cup rough opening day weekend for the two of us, wasn't it? Oh, it was heartbreaking. I'll say that much. Yeah, I was, you you may or may not know, but Bills fans love Fitz. We never really want him to be the guy, but we still have this like overfilling like place in our heart and, and love for Fitz and his his goofy Hawaiian shirts and, and his love for Buffalo as well. But seeing him go down like that, I was actually predicting this upcoming game to be very close with Fitz because I know that division was not very good last year, but in right. my mind, the only thing the Washington football team was missing was good quarterback play. And I thought you're going to get a huge upgrade with Fitz. Yeah, we thought the same thing. I mean, a lot of fans out here were very excited about Fitz coming. I mean, keep everything in context. You know, he's not a top tier high end starter, but he's better than the mess that we had last year with the 12 quarterbacks. I'm, you know, I don't mean 12, but, you know, we had several quarterbacks come through here last year and all of them were about equal in their poor performance. So we knew with Fitz, we were getting a guy that could push the ball down the field. And then, of course, what, a quarter and a half in and he's done for eight weeks due to a nasty hit that he took. So we never really got to see the, the Fitz machine get rolling here. And that's very disappointing because now we're trying to sort it out with the rest of the quarterbacks that we have. Yeah, I don't know much about Taylor Heineke other than his one start last year in the playoffs against Brady. And that's all everybody was talking about for that week. But it kind of went away real quick. Yeah, I mean, you you don't know much about Heineke and neither do we. And neither does anybody, really. He's kind of the guy that came out of nowhere. And how you feel about Heineke depends on your perspective about things. Because on one hand, he's a great story in the and sort of in that Kurt Warner type of story where it's a guy that was at home on the couch and came back and you know had a good start in the playoffs and then but if you're on the the more of the realistic side of things you say okay here's a journeyman who's been cut like seven times and you're really kind of hoping for the best so I think you know you try to be positive about it he has such a great story the the playoff game was exciting and and that's what you're really trying to get out of him. You're not going to get somebody who executes the offense from A to Z, 
um, like some of the the higher pedigree quarterbacks will, but you're getting a guy that makes every game interesting. And if you've been a fan of the Washington football team, you know that's about all you can ask for at this point. Well, yeah, uh, we lived through a long drought era where we were just we just wanted anybody. We wanted anybody to catch on. And now it appears we finally have that guy who gave me a bunch of money. And soon after signing that contract, he came out this Sunday and played very poor. Now, Josh Allen's poor games now are career days for the drought era quarterbacks for the most part. But, you know, it feels like for the Bills, we went out and we had this shiny new toy and we've got a top five quarterback in the league, but we neglected to put some pieces around him to help keep him upright. And we saw that against Pittsburgh. The offensive line is very questionable. Even our tackles, who I'm generally very high on both of our tackles, Daryl Williams and Deion Dawkins, they played pretty poor this this week too. And, well, I guess T.J. Watt's always going to get his. But (laughs) I don't know. It's nice to finally have that behind us. You know what? First of all, talking about you guys' quarterback, I really thought J.P. Lossman was going to be the guy for you. Boy, was I wrong about that some years ago. But I like Allen so much because he's a guy that can beat you in multiple ways. And in the NFL today, those are the guys that are winning games right now. Tom Brady being the exception, right? But, you know, you look at guys that are, are winning 10, 12 games a year. It's guys that can move and guys that can really throw the ball, a la Russell Wilson, Lamar. Um, you know, guys like that in the league, that's the future of the league. And you guys have him for the next, what, six years, seven years, something like that. So I am incredibly envious of what you guys have going on there because you see what we're trying to do. We're pulling guys off the scrap heap. And I tell you what, I trade everything to be in your position with a guy like that. But, you know, it didn't go the way that you guys wanted it to week one. But the good news is, you know you got this guy for so long coming up to really turn things around. So I, I think you guys will be all right. And let me also say this, Vince. Uh, Alan reminds me a lot of, and I'm sure we'll jump into this a little bit more a little later, but he reminds me a lot of um, the guy from the Chargers we just played, Herbert, in a way, because both of them have terrific arm talent. Both of them are great athletes. I think Alan's probably a better athlete, and I'll say – Herbert's probably a more accurate passer in terms of being able to throw at all levels. But, man, the, the package is very similar, and I think they're going to give us similar issues when we play against you guys. Yeah, I like Herbert a lot too. And Josh is sort of, to me, is sort of a nice blend between Brett Favre and Cam Newton. That, yeah. That's kind of the way I see him. And, you know, there are people that maybe have a different opinion, but he has gotten – the knock on him coming out of college was that he wasn't accurate. That is not necessarily true anymore. Now, if we're going to look at just week one, okay, you could probably see that, but uh, you could see he's been getting better every half season since he started, became a starter and um, you know, intermediate passing. He's one of the best in the league. You know, he's got the arm strength to not throw the ball far, but jam that ball into some really tight windows. Yeah. Yeah, just arm talent for days. And, you know, that's the other thing. Like, I I think we're starting to see the end of the uh, weak-armed but highly cerebral quarterbacks. And now we're just going for guys with cannons or athleticism. And if you're fortunate enough to have a guy with both, you're in great position. 
You know, like I like if you think about like maybe, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago, it was the really smart quarterback who knew the playbook inside and out was throwing the ball before the receivers were turning around and, and all that kind of finesse type of stuff. Right. Like even the Peyton Manning's of the world. Now you don't really see that. Now it's guys who can fit the ball in at the last second. Right. Throw, throw balls on a rope to get guys, you know, the, the opportunities to make plays down the field because, you know, the game is less about yards after catch now and now it's more about just chunk plays in general and i i think you guys are set up well for that long term because you guys have a guy that just i mean who has a better arm than josh allen in the league right now i, I can't think of a single person right now you could argue mahomes you could probably argue argue herbert and it's one of those three but yeah, yeah. i guess it just depends on who you ask yeah. let's talk offensive line le how are you feeling about Washington's offensive line. How are the Hogs doing? I would never insult the Hogs by calling this ragtag bunch of guys <laughs> Hogs. No, I, it's, in seriousness, I, it, they didn't play well at all. They start, they're starting a rookie at right tackle. He got housed every single snap um, by Bosa, which most people will, but it was sort of embarrassing. He did a little bit better in the run game uh, than he did in the passing game. I mean, he was awful in the passing game. And on the other side at left tackle, we have Leno who we got from Chicago. And I think people were pretty excited about him this off season after we let Trent Williams go last year. And then we, you know, we, we tried it out with some other guys and we thought we found a guy, right. That maybe the other teams just didn't know about or didn't mm -hmm. pay enough attention to. Uh, but he wasn't very good either. And then our interior guys were okay. But I mean, you saw how Fitz got <laughs> sandwiched or just crushed, you know, last week. And that's that was just one of the plays. Our quarterbacks didn't have as much time as we like. So they have to play better. And, and I am very fearful of quality defensive lines against this offensive line until they really start to gel and turn things around. Well, that's I mean, we could segue that into the Bills defensive line um, <laughs> because I think that's the strength of this team. When just a year ago, we may not have said that. Like everybody in Buffalo loves Jerry Hughes, but he's a pressure guy. He's not closing the deal. He's not getting all the sacks. And a lot of the excuses for him are right or wrong is that he scares the quarterback in the running the other way and he takes five steps and he throws a pass complete because there's no other pressure coming from the other side. Now we've last year, the Bills spent a lot of free agency cap space and, and guys like Vince Taylor, uh, you know, we spent Quentin Jefferson. We spent uh, Vernon Butler. You know, we spent the most money at that position and it didn't work out. We also drafted Ed Oliver a couple of years ago. He's been good, but not a top 10 pick. Now he seems to be coming into his own. We have Starlow to lay back. Gregory Rousseau is going to be a problem in this league. And Boogie Basham. So we've suddenly went from, we're not very happy with this group, to we have too many people and we can't keep them all. And so we had to trade Gerald Johnson away for a six-round pick. So I, I believe that the Bills defensive line is going to be a problem for a lot of teams this year. Yeah, and probably us <laughs> specifically. You know, you named a lot of names, but I think one thing that you guys do well, and I'm sure it's in part due to the leadership of your head coach, Sean McDermott, is that, and uh, who I believe was in Carolina before with Ron Rivera too, but, um, you know, you guys play well and function as a unit. And I'm of the opinion that 
units beat individual superstars every day of the week. You know, we have two really good ends on the defensive side of the ball. We have a great defensive line, at least we're supposed to, didn't play like it. But, you know, specific to your defensive uh, front, I think you guys do a good job of playing together and in sync, right? Because, you know, your, your line has to open holes for your linebackers to make plays. I think you guys do that well. Was that fully represented in week one? Probably not. But you guys have a history of that, and I think your coach really preaches that. So my concern for our offensive line versus that defensive line is that, you know, we haven't really had time to gel because Rivera didn't play the O-line a lot in preseason. Uh, he didn't really play anybody a lot in preseason. You guys have some continuity more than we do, I think, on our line, and I it makes me nervous what you guys are going to be capable of um, when we play you guys. I, I think being an objective Bills fan, I think I could say the exact same thing about what Washington can bring to us because – I don't love our offensive line either. And I'm worried about Chase Young and Montez Sweat. And, you know, I think we we probably have the same concerns there for both of our teams. Would, would agree with that 100%. So the thing with people think of Chase Young and they kind of go towards like Khalil Mack, you know, a guy that's just going to be in your backfield every play, just blowing your quarterback up. And I think what we've seen from Chase Young in the first uh, season and, and plus one game is that that's not – what he's doing he impacts the game in every way from the defensive line it's not just going to be a bunch of sacks like he's going to disrupt some some pass plays by getting in passing lanes he's going to blow your running back up a couple times he's going to chase guys down five yards downfield you know he's going to get a sack uh every couple of games so he he's probably not at least to this point going to be a guy that's going to you know take allen down three times in the game like a khalil mack would do where he just takes over a game with sacks but you're going to see him making impacts in areas that won't necessarily show up in the uh, first layer of stat sheets. You're going to have to dive a little bit into the stats to see his, his full impact. But I think guys like Deron Payne on our defensive line, just some of the guys that are just really nasty in the middle, uh, are going are really going to uh, give you guys fits. And you know what I think uh, as well? I think that we can make you guys one-dimensional. And what I mean by that is, I'm not afraid of your running backs. I'm not afraid of your running game, right? You guys are let me let me let me put the caveat of Josh Allen aside because Josh Allen running the ball is different than where I'm going with this because he does scare me in that capacity. But your your running backs don't really bring any fear to me. So what I think we would try to do is eliminate that running game completely, which I think we can do, and then make you guys one dimensional in terms of just passing the football. And then it's can Chase Young pin his ears back? Can Montez Sweat pin his ears back and then go after the quarterback? And then can we get there with Josh Allen's mobility? Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the running backs for just a moment. Uh, I, I'm a big Devin Singletary fan. He's not a bell cow running back. He's not going to be a guy that you give the ball 20 times a game to. He's probably going to get between eight, 10, 12. And he is very elusive. Now, he's he's not going to break an 80-yard touchdown because he doesn't have the speed for that. But he makes almost every single time the first guy miss and is grasping at air. He's just so shifty. And he knows how to angle his body. And he knows how to get those little extra yard or two because he's falling forward. So he's never going to be compared with a – he's never going to be a, a, a Saquon Barkley type. That's not who – 
I, I don't think that's who the Bills want. I think they want to pass the ball 70% of the time and they, you know, neglect is a strong word, but they don't value that position as much. But I, I think they look for value when they drafted him. I think they look for value when they drafted Zach Moss. We've not seen anything from Zach Moss yet. Right now he feels like just a guy, but we had so many problems with the offensive line last year. It's kind of unfair to have a fully formed opinion on him. And then we went out and we signed Matt Breida for uh, like a million dollars. So we have that speed element there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think they're going to be just good enough and you shouldn't be scared of it, but they can break. They can't hurt you in, in small doses. Yeah. See, the thing that I think we do well is we rally to the football on run plays. I mean, we got gashed <laughs> against the Chargers. I don't expect that to happen again. If it does, then <laughs> forget everything I said today. Right. But, <laughs> um, you know, your, your point about Singletary is very accurate from what I've seen from him. He's not a game breaker necessarily, but he is elusive. But you guys don't commit to the run game in a way that makes me nervous. You know what I mean? Because you, and your quarterback participates in the run game. So that always kind of takes away from some of his opportunities. Now, maybe Allen's more productive with those opportunities. So I get it. But I just, I feel like if you guys beat us with your running backs, then we got bigger problems than, than that. You know what I'm saying? I would expect us to get hurt by digs and, um, you know, guys like that with Allen extending plays more than I would say you, your running backs would just come out and beat us with, uh, you know, pure eye form handoffs and, you know, motion handoffs and things like that. That the motion handoffs we do a lot to McKenzie, but I form handoffs are just not a thing. We didn't even use a fullback last year. Uh, we have Reggie Gilliam on the roster who I thought, Hey, the fullbacks, we didn't even use him on Sunday. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Josh Allen is very polarizing when it comes to his running plays and design draws uh, because half of Bill's mafia says, we don't want him taking the extra hits all the time. And and he does have fumbling issues. That's kind of where I'm at. Like, let's not do that anymore. <laughs> and then the other half of Bill's Mafia says, well, that's what makes him good. Let him do what makes him good. And, I, you know, you can kind of make an argument both ways, but we just paid this guy a lot of money. I don't want him taking all the extra <laughs> hits unless he end up like Cam Newton. Well, let me ask you a question about that, too. Like, are you at a place where you feel like he's fully developed at a passer to where, as a passer, excuse me, to where – he can sit in the pocket and beat you from the pocket without the element of the run. Yes, but I feel like Josh is better off script. I feel like he likes running outside the pocket, having Gabe Davis or Diggs or Beasley, you know, shake their guy and, and, and get a nice, 15 yard gain that way. I, I feel like sometimes we, we even seen it this past week. He will take a shot at the bigger play rather than just taking what is there in front of him. And this past week, it didn't work out, but last year when he was so great, he got away with it a lot. So, you know, you kind of you can't really have it both ways. Yeah, that that's, that's fair. And to your earlier point, I'm always of the opinion that you have to, let people be great at what they're great at. And then you got to live with the consequences and the benefits of that. So if Josh Allen were with us, I'd be like, run the ball, make every play you can, and we'll figure it out if something goes wrong. But that's just my perspective. You you mentioned uh, linebackers. 
a little while. It's a little while back. I'm circling way back. But uh, you had mentioned that McDermott's good about keeping his linebackers clean so they can make plays. I feel like that answer in Carolina was yes. I don't think it's been necessarily that good in Buffalo because I don't know if you know this, maybe people outside of Bill's Mafia or not, but Jermaine Edmonds is a very polarizing figure inside the community. There are people who think he's trash. There are people who think he's the best thing ever. And I'm not ready to make an opinion because right now to me, he's just a guy. I know he's young, but, and I know he can improve, but right now he seems like he is a block magnet. If there's anybody in his vicinity, he's already out of the play and he doesn't make a lot of game changing plays. He's kind of cleans things up. Um, I feel like the bills, I'm going to say the two starting because we run mostly nickel Uh, Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds are more coverage linebackers than they are big tackling, hard hitting guys. And I mean, that's my opinion. People might think differently, but that's the way I see it. You know, it's it's hard when you're not watching the team every week, but you look at the tackle leaders in the NFL and Tremaine Edmonds is there, you know, in the top 20, top 30 every year, not top 15, top 20, I should say. Like he had 121, 115, 119. Let me tell you something. We have been struggling at linebackers <laughs> forever. Uh, since I mean, London Fletcher was here, and I know you guys are familiar with him too, and he was really the only stable middle linebacker we've had since the Super Bowl era. And so, you know, we we would kill for guys like Edmonds here. Um, I think with, with guys like that, and I'm actually I'm very very surprised to say that you guys are split on him. But like I said, you know, I'm not I'm not officially in the Bills Mafia, so I don't see everything that goes on. Um, I tell you this though, your linebacker situation is a heck of a lot better than ours. We have guys like uh, uh, Jamin Davis, who we drafted this year, and folks are just killing him right now. He had a pretty horrible game week one. There were other guys that were available, but Rivera got a guy he liked. He saw a little bit of Keekley in him, and he went for it. That guy has struggled all offseason. Um, I'm hopeful that he can turn it around, and it's just sort of rookie jitters. We have Cole Holcomb extremely athletic but very soft at the point of attack gets lost in coverage we got john bostic i mean bostic's been around forever he's he's a good tackler he gets lost in coverage as well and he's not going to make any wild plays he's just kind of there so our linebacking core is ready to be exposed anytime you guys want to um it pains me to say that because our head coach is a linebacker a hall of fame linebacker jack del rio our d coordinator was a linebacker and we can't seem to fix that position. So um, I I know what you said about your situation. I think I would take your situation over ours, though. <laughs> well, <laughs> I realize it can be worse, but I, I think my my problem with Tremaine is if he's your starting linebacker, yes, you can do worse. But if we're talking about getting ready to hand him something like Fred uh, Warner type money. Hard pass, hard pass. Let me just find somebody else. I don't think yeah. he's that guy, at least yet. I, I okay. He's got a couple years to prove it to me, but I don't think he's that guy. That that I can understand, absolutely. So the money conversation is obviously a different conversation because you're right. When you have to make business decisions about guys, you have to evaluate things more critically. But can you get by with a guy without factoring in money? Absolutely. Let's talk about tight ends because you guys have a good one. 
Yeah, we do. We have uh, Logan Thomas. And when you talk about fan favorites, this is a guy because his story is great. You know, he was a guy that came in as a quarterback out of tech and didn't really work out, kind of, you know, had some issues in Arizona and then decided he wanted to be a tight end and really committed to it. Showed some promise in Detroit and then came here under Ron Rivera last year and had an amazing year. I think he had 75, 85 catches. And I think people are expecting a big, big year from him. He had one catch week one. It was a touchdown, but he had one catch. So our tight end situation is is good. I think we have a very productive number one tight end. It's just a matter of will our offensive coordinator uh, get him involved in the game plan, which I think he absolutely should because I think he can do some damage. Well, you knew he was ours once upon a time, right? Logan Thomas was? I did not know that. Yeah, he was a bill. I think he was either a late draft pick or undrafted. I don't remember. But he was a guy that we were he's, – he's Dawson Knox today. He's a guy that we wanted to develop, and he just couldn't develop, and then he goes somewhere else, finally gets it all together. And you know they say that tight end is one of the slowest developing positions, and we always want to point to Logan Thomas as, see, this is what happens if we don't yeah. resign Dawson Knox. Well, uh, okay, I guess. <laughs> but it also can be that you have, I don't know, an Eric Ebron who's – fine he's not great but he's okay you know um so i don't know i don't i don't know how washington football fans feel about dawson knox but kind of the same thing was a high school quarterback um didn't get a lot of opportunity to catch balls in college and is really still kind of learning on the fly like how to block how to run routes he drops a lot of passes i don't remember the drop percentage but it was way up there yeah. You know what? But you said it, though. I mean, and people have to understand it. Like it really tight ends really, really take time because they're learning two positions at one time. I was talking to uh, Doc Walker from the Super Bowl era tight end um, for the Washington football team uh, back in the 90s. And he was telling me, you know, playing tight end is such a difficult transition because number one, most people don't do it their entire life, which you just evidenced there with him being a quarterback. And I talked about Logan Thomas. So guys are learning this position for the first time at a very high level. So that's hard to do. And then on top of that, you have to learn how to be an offensive lineman and a wide receiver. You know what I mean? So it, it's, it's not for the mentally weak to play tight end and it's going to take time. But the question is, you have to evaluate, are you going to get enough benefit from this player when he does develop to warrant the time that you have to invest in developing him? Yeah. And, and like I said, you give up on him and he can go be somebody else's Logan Thomas. Cause how much would Bill's fans like to have Logan Thomas back right now? <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, we, exactly. Um, okay. Well, we can talk about your defensive backs if you want to go that way. Yeah, let's do that. So, Last year, we had Ronald Darby and we had Kendall Fuller. Uh, our safeties were Landon Collins for part of the year. Then he got hurt. So we had the emergence of Cam Curl, who everybody really loves out here. Um, this year, we traded out Darby. Not traded, but we let him go. And then we got William Jackson III, who was with the Bengals for a long time. We still have Kendall Fuller. We drafted a guy named Benjamin St. Just. Uh, and we have Cam Curl and Landon Collins is back. Week one. They didn't play well. They they got smoked by Keenan Allen all afternoon, which Keenan Allen and Diggs, very similar uh, receivers in the sense that they are 
perfectionist when it comes to route running. And, you know, that that's something that our DBs are going to have to deal with much better when they face Diggs than what they did when they faced Keenan Allen. So um, I, I like the DB room. I just I, I think we need to see more than what we saw in week one, because this year's DB uh, class in week one wasn't as good as it was last season. I recognize it takes a while, though, for secondaries to gel. So I'm not without hope that by the time that we play Buffalo, we'll get it together there. Yeah, I I, I, I don't want to sound disrespectful when I say this, but I feel like when Landon Collins was in New York, he was the guy. And he seems to be quieter now that he's with Washington. And I don't know if that's because he plays in Washington or if he is – you know, taking a step back. How do you feel about that? I think, I think what it is, is it's kind of like the new car effect. I think he always had his flaws, but he was a new highly touted prospect out of Alabama who was incredibly athletic. And so he covered a lot of that up with his athleticism and sort of the polish that you have on you being a starter for a national championship, Alabama football team. Right. What? So over time, that luster goes away from the college persona and injuries start to mount. He's not good in pass coverage at all. And I think you started to see that towards the end of the Giants tenure. And that's why they let him go. Uh, he's, he's decent in the box, but he's not the same athlete he was coming out of school. So when you have a safety that can't cover and is a, a, Big hitter, but the NFL rules are kind of what they are. So you have to be careful with that now, right? Because you're going to get all kinds of penalties. And his athleticism is fading just a little bit, if I can say that. Um, Because of the injuries, what are you? You know what I mean? So I'm not surprised that you have that perception because I think it's true. I just think that he probably wasn't as good in hindsight in New York as people thought. It's just that he was an Alabama safety on a national championship team, so you gave him a lot of leeway. You know, are Washington fans disappointed in that signing? Oh my gosh! You know, we like Landon Collins as a person, and kind of his aura is great. Like he's a football player's football player, but the the production on the field not been there, and and the help in the defense not been there. I think people liked some of the guys that got cut, like Jeremy Reeves, and you know guys like that that were you know, small name guys, but played uh, well. And they like Cam Curl. So people don't like outright hate Landon Collins. I just think if you asked 100 Washington fans, would they re-sign him or do that contract all over again? The answer would be no, probably 99 out of 100 times. Okay. Yeah, I guess I, I guess I, I, I saw that correctly. And I want to give myself some credit because I was, sure. I was thinking about him the other day. I was like, he just kind of fell off. I, I wonder what's going on there. Yeah. But um, you know, I, I think on the bill side, Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer are of nationally underrated safety tandem. I'm, I don't want to say that they were the best, but they're in the conversation and they're, you know, they play off each other. So well, they, they, they always know where each other is at. And you know, they didn't make have the turnovers last year that they might have in past years. And maybe we can blame that on the pass rush, just kind of not being there for us last year. But I'm still very high on those two. You know, I think they're both over 30, but I'm not expecting any major decline in them anytime soon. We have Trey White. 
who Bills fans absolutely love. He's not only as a person, but as a player, he's he's got to be somewhere around the top four to seven, I'd say, cornerbacks in the league. On the other side from him, we have Levi Wallace, who is another kind of polarizing player in the mafia. I'm a Levi fan, but I don't like him being cornerback too. I wish that could have been a spot where we might have upgraded. He's the guy that's going to give up the pass because they don't want to throw at Trey. And he's going to make a tackle and he's going to limit the yards after catch. And that's what he does. In the slot, we have Teron Johnson, who has been very up and down, actually got benched last year. But he had a couple of franchise-changing plays, if you remember the interception against Lamar that he ran back like 108 yards for a touchdown in right. the playoffs. So he's uh, he's that kind of player. He's boomer bust. He played very well against Pittsburgh. He's still got a liability in him waiting to come out. So generally speaking, I think the Bills, if the Bills backfield is better when the pass rush is better. I know that's lazy. You can say that pretty much about every team, but I do think there's talent back there, but it's definitely flawed. Yeah. And when I think about your secondary versus our wide receiver group, you know, we have Terry McLaurin. um, Curtis Samuel will be out. He's on IR uh, for at least three weeks. Uh, We have Diami Brown, the rookie who is athletic, but had one catch for a negative two yards in week one. Um, And then we have, uh, Cam Sims, who is a guy, <laughs> you know, not a lot to say other than that. He's a guy. So really what it boils down to is what can you guys do with Terry McLaurin? And if you guys just sort of, you know, box him in and, and double him, then I think we're going to have some issues. If you guys try to single cover McLaurin, I think that's a mistake. I really do because, you know, he's the type of guy, he has electric speed. And uh, he has a way of getting open. I'm not going to tell you he's the best route runner in the world, but he's a pretty decent route runner. And he is incredibly quick. He's he's sort of like the anti-Stefan Diggs, if you ask me, because, see, with McLaurin, it's like you give him a slant and he's out of here. I think Diggs is so much more refined as a wide receiver. But McLaurin's also a gamer. And, uh, you know, he'll go up. You saw the catch, I don't know if you have, but that he made in week one. I think he just makes incredible plays. Um, I think – you know, what we need to see from Washington is something out of the second, third, fourth receiver because it's just not there right now. So your secondary probably should fare well against Terry McLaurin and a bunch of dudes right now. Yeah, losing Fitz and not having Curtis Samuel makes all the difference because I was I was ready to write it in pen. Washington is going to win the <laughs> NFC East this year. I, yeah. I was, I wasn't worried about the giants and the Eagles who knows about those guys. And the Cowboys are just going to disappoint you every single year, <laughs> but I was ready to write that in pen. And now I, I don't know that I feel the same. And I, I don't feel good saying that because I was kind of rooting on fits and I, I wanted to see, I, I don't know if I want to say Washington's the underdog, but I think they are in a way. And I was kind of rooting on that team and, and losing her to Samuel and losing Fitz is really going to be disappointing for you guys. Man, I, I could not agree with you more because you just you just hate to see like the season start and you don't have your best you know horses in the starting blocks to go. You know we, we're kind of already trying to figure out a lot of positions at this point, and I don't like it because then we don't really have a true sense of what we are. And you know Fitz, we talked about him a lot, but one thing that Fitz does is he pushes the ball down the field. Heineke will do that too, 
but it's really more off script. And so I think, you know, you're going to see a lot of him moving around and then receivers breaking off routes to go help him out. So, you know, if your cornerbacks are good at playing undisciplined football, um, at least in terms of like, you know, the receiver's not following the route, but they're just running to get open, um, then you guys will be okay. But I think if you guys struggle when when the route breaks off to stay with the receiver, uh, then we we could do some damage there. I just, you know, it's it's one of those things where this is not how you planned it, but it's how we're going to have to show up. So we got to deal with the circumstances at hand. We hadn't even talked about Antonio Gibson yet. Yes, we hadn't. And that's that's my favorite player. Uh, I, I'm a fan of running the football. And maybe that's a little old school of me, but I still feel like in the NFL today, there's a place for teams with great defenses and great running games. And I think, you know, what we're trying to figure out in Washington about Gibson is, is Gibson a 20 to 25 carry guy in this league? Or is he a 15 carry guy and then you flex him out at receiver and you do a bunch of creative things with them? Both of them add value, but I would prefer that he learn to be a true running back and, and a feature back at that. He, you know the story of him. He came out of college as, as primarily a wide receiver. And they, you know, he played a little bit of running back at Memphis, but it wasn't like your traditional running back sets. It was really more of you flex him into the backfield and then you, you know, give him some option looks and things like that. He has shown the ability to be a great running back out of the backfield. But what he hasn't or he's still learning is the vision part of it, um, the decision making, pass protection, things like that. And of course, you got to stay healthy. He has a lingering uh, foot injury, a midfoot sprain that I think he had from last year. That, or no, it's turf toe, excuse me. Hasn't got all the way better. Um, he opted to not have surgery on this offseason, so it's kind of a, a monitor thing. And then after last game, he hurt his shoulder a little bit. I think it may just be, you know, soreness, but he was icing it after the game. He's explosive as they come. But what we're also starting to see is he has a little bit of a fumbling problem. And as you know, in this league with running backs, that ain't going to fly. So – he has to fix those things. But if he does, he can make you pay because he was tearing the charges up left and right. The problem was he was just our only weapon that we have. So I love Gibson. I love Gibson. I think he is absolutely tremendous. A lot of people have compared him to Joe Mixon. Some people have compared him to Matt Forte, you know, guys like that. But the consistency is the key. We also have uh, J.D. McKissick, who's been tremendous for us out of the backfield, too, in terms of catching uh, balls on third down, you know, passing downs, things like that. So we do have a few weapons we can throw at you. Yeah. And let's see. What other position group have we not talked about yet? We've talked about the offensive line, the quarterbacks, wide receivers. I think we've hit everything unless you want to go to punters and kickers. No, kicker's a tragedy for us. But let me let me ask you a question, um, and this is something that we do. If I said – so if we looked at the quarterback position and we said Josh Allen versus Taylor Heineke, which team are you giving the edge to at quarterback? I'm assuming it's going to be Buffalo, right? Yeah, it's Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> and then at the running back position, you have Devin Singletary, Matt Breida, Zach Moss versus Antonio Gibson, J.D. McKissick, and Jarrett Patterson. I think I would give the advantage to Washington – in that aspect, would you agree or do you disagree? I agree, but I don't think it, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'll agree. I agree. Okay. And then wide receiver, you have Diggs, Sanders, Cole Beasley, 
which, by the way, I heard Cole Beasley got booed over the weekend. I hope that's not true. I mean, you know, politics, stay away from football just as a pure player. Leave that alone. That's what I say. But not my opinion. Uh, <laughs> Diggs, Sanders, and Beasley um, versus McLaurin uh, and Cam Sims and Diami Brown. I think you have to go with the Buffalo Bills for that wide receiver group. Do you agree there? I agree. If if Curtis Samuel is in there, the gap is closed considerably. But right now, I think it's largely skewed toward the Bills. Okay. And then Dawson Knox and Logan Thomas. I don't think that's a question. I think I'm going Logan Thomas there. It's Logan. Yeah. We don't have a fullback, so I'll skip that. Your offensive line, we talked about this. You have Deion Dawkins, uh, Feliciano, Morris, Ford, and Williams. I <laughs> – I think that's a push. I really do. I think it's it's pretty close between the two groups with Sheriff, with Rouye, with um, Cosme, Leno, uh, guys like that. So I think those offensive lines are about equal. So I think it could go either way. I don't know enough about your offensive line to have a strong opinion there, but I know that I'm very lukewarm on ours. So I'll, I'll agree to that. Yeah. And then in terms of your D line, you guys have Hughes, uh, Ed Oliver, uh, let me say this right, Latouille Lely, uh, and Addison. I don't think there's any question that your defensive line is as good as our D-line. Like I, like when I say Chase Young, Allen, Payne, and Sweat, I, I'm taking those guys over your guys every week. Really? Okay. I, um, I think that we're going to go deeper. Because Gregory Rousseau is going to be a problem. Boogie Basham didn't play last week, but we like Effie Obata a ton. So I think there's just none of nobody's ever going to play massive snaps on the ends. And, you know, Addison, he's not completely washed up yet. He's still got a little left to give. So I don't know. Maybe if we want to talk starters, I'll agree with you. But I think we're very deep there. Well, we are too. I didn't mention Matt Ioannidis. I didn't mention. Tim Settle, um, you know, guys like that. So I'm okay with you, you know, giving the hometown advantage to Buffalo. But I'm going to tell you, you know, our defensive line is a problem as well. Linebackers, uh, Milano, Edmonds, Klein, you you guys take that. I, I'm not even going to argue <laughs> with that mess that we trotted out in week one. But secondary-wise, Tredavious, White, Poyer, Hyde, Wallace, like we talked about, versus cam curl at the safety position um fuller and saint just and william jackson that's pretty close to me i think that's that's another one of those could go either way it really depends on how they're playing at the time that we play each other so i I think that's a toss-up the the secondary right now is the same as it was in 2019 where we were top three in passing defense so they can do it, but Teron Johnson's kind of, we don't know. Like it's a coin flip. And by the way, we're not very deep there at the corners. We're not deep at all. We have Dane Jackson and Saran Neal and that's it. And yeah. so Levi's having a bad day like he did against Pittsburgh. There's not a lot of help coming. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. It, it's, it's not very deep. The talent's there, but I'm not feeling very optimistic over the long haul. 
Yeah, we have very similar issues that, you know, our frontline starters seem okay, even though one of them is a rookie, what, third-round pick? Um, so I, I think, you know, if something happens to one of our starters, it's going to be a long day. But I just – playmaking-wise, I think I'd probably give the edge to you guys. I, just, I like what we have, though. I'm not down on our secondary at all, despite what happened in week one. I think it's pretty close. If if we go back and look at this, I mean, it sets up to be a really good game. I think it just comes down to is your quarterback that much better and effective than what our running game can be? And I, I do that cross comparison because I don't think our quarterback's going to provide against your defense what he did against some of the other defenses he's faced. Um, like, I mean, the Chargers have a good defense, but they – they left a lot on the field in terms of playmaking. But Josh Allen's going to be, to me, the key factor versus us, where I think our running game is going to be the key factor for you guys to stop. So hopefully we get more out of our running game than you guys get out of Josh Allen in your passing game. And Because I don't see another way we can win. <laughs> I think the Bills' weakness will be sort of like the old Peyton Manning teams where, yes, we can theoretically pass and score a bunch of points, and we can get after the passer, but if the game is close or if another team gets a lead on us, like let's say, you know, late third quarter and they are effective running the ball and they can just chew up some clock that way. I, I think that could be a recipe to beat the bills. Hmm. Hey, well, that bodes well for us then. I mean, of course you have to get the lead first, right? And that's been a problem for us. So, um, I, I think it's it's one it's really hard to determine an outcome in this game because I just don't know at this point. Like I'm happy to even say that we could be competitive considering how you guys did last year, um, but I feel like we expected more at the end of that season after that game against Tampa coming into this year uh, and some of the free agent acquisitions that we made. But of course, they're not on the field, so now it's kind of well, what are we? You know. I, I still think the Bills have the major advantage in, just because of Allen versus Henneke. Uh, if Fitz were in, I think the game is much closer. I, I think it's a touchdown or less if Fitz is playing. Without him, I don't know. And it is going to be in Buffalo. I will be at the game. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I'm disappointed because I – well, first of all, I wanted to see Fitz. But – I'm disappointed for Washington because I was kind of low key pulling for them in that division. Also, my brother is a Cowboys fan and uh -huh. rooting, rooting for you <laughs> it pisses him off, which is the whole reason he's a Cowboys fan in the first place is just uh -huh. to piss me off. <laughs> that is wild. Okay. Is is he uh is he in Buffalo as well? No, I don't actually live in Buffalo. I live in Indiana, but I'm originally from upstate New York. Ah, so you're traveling to New York from Indiana for the game, huh? That's right. That's commitment, man. I like it. Yep. Again, Mrs. Taylor will be making her first appearance. Oh, look at you guys, man. So do you guys go up the night before or do you go same day? We, well, uh, we're on a week-long vacation. This is the end of it. So we'll be on the West Coast and then flying back to Buffalo for the game and driving home. Oh, my goodness. That's a lot of travel, man, in a short amount of time. Good luck to you, man. <laughs> All right. 
L.E. from the Washington football team declassified podcast. Man, this was fun. Thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time tonight. Hey, man, thanks for the opportunity for having us on. And, you know, look, every every fan base is jealous of what you guys got going on in the Bills Mafia. They really are, because one of the things that we deal with here is a lot of traveling road teams um, fill up our stadium. That would never happen in Buffalo. And a lot of the guys I know in Buffalo um, tell me how much a part of the community the Buffalo Bills players are. And because Buffalo is kind of a small community in general, and so you'll see a lot of the guys that play for the team just kind of around town and things like that, which I think is absolutely fantastic. In D.C., Virginia, Maryland, you will never run into any of the Washington football team players. So super jealous of your organization, super jealous of the community and environment that you guys have, and, of course, the winning on the field that you guys have done. I do wish you guys all the best, except for when we play each other. So thank you for having me on, Vince. <laughs> all right, L.E., it was my pleasure. Thank you so much. And plug your stuff one more time, just in case someone wants to go check you out. Absolutely. Check us out. Washington football team, WFT, Declassified Podcast on all podcast platforms, except for YouTube. We don't really do the YouTube thing. Um, and I tell you what, check us out on Twitter. I got a live Twitter feed. A lot of people arguing in my comments about the game. But uh, that's what we're here for. Oh, one more thing. I'm also a, an official fan ambassador for the Washington football team. So we are out there working, trying to improve the game day experience and things like that, too. So um, a lot of things to get involved with. Find me on Twitter. Talk to me. Yell at me. Argue with me about football or any of the takes I provide on this podcast. Don't care. I'm there for it. Have a good one. Ellie, enjoy the rest of your night, sir. You too. Thank you. Hi, listeners. Thanks for tuning in to another great episode on the Built-in Buffalo Network. My name is Andrew. And I'm Justin. And we're the hosts of the Wandering Buffalo Podcast. We like to consider ourselves average shows by day, non-professional Buffalo Bills podcasters by night. Andrew and I live and breathe Buffalo Bills football and are here to give you our insights. So this includes year-round content covering the free agency, the draft, training camp, and much more. It's so easy to digest. It's like having a beer with the boys. Hot takes, gut feelings, and whatever other places we might end up. Tune into the Wandering Buffalo podcast for content year-round, because in football, there is no off-season. And you can find us anywhere on the internet by searching The Wandering Buffalo Podcast. Go, Go Bills! Bills. This is not your average podcast in the 716 we are back. We're not on Thursdays anymore. We're on Sundays. Before you head out to the game, check out me and Mike. Not your average podcast. It is 716. Go Bills. Bills Mafia, it is that time of the week again where I am joined from my pal Justin Goddard over from the Wandering Buffalo the weekly segment, Real or Silly. Justin, what's going on? I'm having, having a pretty good day. I've, uh, I've licked my wounds. I've, I've recovered. I'm looking toward the rest of the season. Ready for a lot of, of Bills wins to still happen. How are you today? Same. Same. I'm over it. I'm on the Miami. We got to win the Miami game, but I'm over the Pittsburgh game for now. Like It was just bad everything. Put it behind us. Go forward. Same. All right. So, you know the drill. This is like our third or fourth or fifth one, something like that. So, 
Justin Goddard. Real or silly, Sam Donald is going to get the 25 passing touchdowns this year. I'm going to say that one's real. And it's not really from any sort of premise that I'm a huge Sam Darnold fan. I didn't really like him a ton coming out of college. Um, but I, I like what they're building in Carolina. I think you can factor in, you know, Christian McCaffrey is much more than just a running back you're going to get a handful of touchdowns that count as throwing touchdowns to him when he just kind of leaks out of the backfield and does all the work. I like, I like what Matt rules doing with the team down there. They got some, some young talent. I think, I think that one's real. And I think he's going to really benefit from getting away from Adam Gase and all of the dumpster fire that was going on in New York. They seem to be on a better track now, but there's just, never really any situation setting him up for success in New York. So I, th- I think he can get there. Yeah, I, I have to agree. Adam Gase was just so terrible. He's just so terrible of a head coach. And I always, you know, you're not supposed to like division rivals, but I had a soft spot for Sam. He was the guy that I wanted over Josh, believe it or not. And, you know, I was, I didn't like seeing him going over to the jets and I was, I was kind of, feeling bad for him, but kind of selfishly glad that he was failing. But now that I can root for him in the free and clear, and he does get away from all that mess that's in New York where they didn't really seem to build anything up around him. You know, Robbie Anderson, his old pal is back down there. They did lose Curtis Samuel, which I forgot about initially. Um, He's in Washington now, but they have DJ Moore on the other side. You mentioned, uh, Christian McCaffrey, they have a better offensive line. Got his revenge this past weekend against the Jets. That's, you know, that feels good for him. Oh, for sure. Yeah. He's probably not ready to be the one of the elite guys, but I, I think he's ready for a bounce back year and he's going to, he's going to have some Jets fans upset. Yeah, I'd agree on that. I don't, I don't know that he ever lives up to his draft stock and, you know, ends up being one of the most elite quarterbacks in the league, but I think he could be, you know, a a good above average starter. And with the pieces that they're putting around him, they have a pretty solid defense. They have a nice pass rush. They're just building. They were kind of building before Darnold got there and, and had a pretty good setup for Teddy Bridgewater and they won some games that way. So I, I think he's an upgrade to Bridgewater and that's, going to bring a decent amount of success to the Panthers. Yeah. I don't want to hate on Teddy, but I don't, I I think Teddy is a low end starter. Steady Teddy. He's never going to be flashy. He's probably never going to be terrible either, but you just, if you want to really win a Super Bowl, you had to do better than Teddy. And I think what they gave up to get Sam Darnold was far less than what you even up to get, Zach Wilson, if you wanted to make that trade. So it's a lower cost, higher upside pick, I think. I mean, not pick, but a move like that trade. I I just think that I like the upside there. Yeah, as a fan of the organization, if I was a fan of the organization, I would have rather seen them uh, draft a kind of maneuver around. uh, You could have landed fields in there. I think there are some quarterbacks coming out that had some higher upside than you know, Sam, Sam Darnold already four years into the league. 
Um, but you also have the benefit of, you know, having a book on Sam Darnold and knowing his strengths and weaknesses at the pro level. And I feel like that might have been kind of enticing to them to know exactly what they're getting. I, I personally would have gone with a rookie, but I think it could work out pretty nicely for them still. Okay. On to question number two. Justin, this past week, the Bills offensive line was terrible. It was bad. Even the tackles, who I always liked, Daryl Williams and Deion Dawkins, were not great. Their interior offensive line was not great either. It was just, it was pressure. It felt like almost on every play. I know that's not really what happened, but it felt that way. And we will be facing the Washington Redskins, who have just as good as a defensive line anyway as the Steelers did that we just faced. So Justin Goddard, Josh Allen gets sacked three times versus Washington. Is that real or silly? I would love to be here saying that that's silly. And I'd like to think that maybe, maybe in a couple of weeks, our, our line is gelling a little bit more. I think we saw really uncharacteristic games out of both of our tackles. I think Dawkins is still kind of working his way back from COVID. Um, but I have to go real on this one. It, it seems like a pretty realistic number um, going into the season you know, they don't have fits now, but what, what I was really concerned about with this game against Washington was their defense and a dude like Chase Young. That's just one of those game wreckers at the edge that you really have to account for at all times. Um, so even even if our line gets it together a little bit and is doing a better job protecting Josh Allen, I, I think it's a pretty realistic chance that we see three sacks. This one was difficult. I had to really think about it because I think that number is right where it needs to be. Like that's the pain point number, I think. But I'm gonna I'm gonna say that's silly. I'm gonna go opposite of you on this one. And my reason why? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think our I don't think our offensive line is very good. I don't think we care to put Reggie Gilliam in there very much at all. I think he was only active for two snaps against Pittsburgh. But I have a feeling that Josh isn't going to be that bad again. I think having him back there has, at least last year, covered up a lot of deficiencies on that offensive line just because he's so mobile. And I also think that he likes to make plays. He's more comfortable off script and running out of the pocket, I think, than sometimes he looks like in the pocket with a clean pocket. So I think if we get it back to us scrambling Josh outside the pocket – I, I think that sack number is going to be less than three. So I'm going to say silly. I sure hope so. I, I do agree with your point of um, Josh. Josh seems to work best after the first play breaks down. There's certainly games where we saw him back there just, you know, being surgical and standing in the pocket and, and just hitting, hitting receivers in stride, right, right on schedule. Um, but we also see some of his greatest plays come from, you know, he's rolling to the right and Gabe Davis is coming back to him or Diggs is running a crossing route. Um, so I do think that having that um, covers up a lot of the offensive line deficiencies and, and really keeps the plays alive longer and, and kind of makes them look better in that regard. Um, but yeah, the offensive line has me a bit worried after that, after that week one game. 
I know and to go off on a little tangent here. I mean, I was worried about it going into the offseason. I thought for sure we were going to spend some draft capital upgrading positions, but we spent, well, the two defensive ends and then followed by two tackles. Okay. They got Spencer Brown. That's fine. We need a swing tackle. They want to invest there. That's okay. I mean, they followed up with a Tommy Doyle. I don't know. I don't know. It's just the potential could be there for that offensive line to hinder some of our optimism, but I'm going to be positive. I'm going to be positive right now. This is one where I hope you're right. Okay. All right. Last but not least, we're on to question three. Justin, do the bills. Well, let me phrase it correctly. The bills are going to have 15 rushing attempts against Washington. Is that real or is that silly? Uh, I'm going to go with this one being real. Um, probably a couple days ago, I would have said silly. Um, I think with Fitzpatrick being out of the game, we're going to have a little bit more of an opportunity to be able to control the game at our tempo. And maybe that means a little bit more running. We've also seen the bills control the game tempo by just throwing it 15 times in a row. So what the hell do I know? Uh, but even looking at the Pittsburgh game, I thought Singletary was kind of a bright spot to, to the game that we had, you know, nothing crazy flashy, nothing ridiculous, but he does end up averaging six and a half yards a carry. And I think by the time we get to this Washington game, we're going to start seeing Moss being active and, and, getting some of the touches as well. Maybe, Hey, maybe if we got a fourth and one, we can use our running back to run up the middle. Wouldn't that be a thing? But yeah, I what? think I've not seen that before. The running like... back. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I think between them, we get to the 15. If you were confused by the running back usage in, well, historically bill Belichick's backfield, <laughs> I'm confused, maybe not quite that bad, but pretty bad by our running back usage right now. Because this week against Pittsburgh, because my pod comes out on a Monday, we're talking about the Washington game, but it felt like Devin Singletary was the lead back. He was a feature back is what it felt like. I don't remember how many carries Breida got. It was three or four, but the large lion's share of carries went to Devlin Singletary and he was effective with them. And yes, that large yards per carry is kind of skewed because he got, I don't know, 30 or 40 yards on those two carries on the last drive when it was garbage time, kind of, they were still kind of in it, but they, he was still effective all game long. So what does that mean? Does, I mean, what are they going to do with Zach Moss? Is he, is it just going to be the Bill Pelichick style? Like, okay, maybe this week they're going to stick Moss in there. Maybe they're going to run seven times and not give a rat's ass about passing. Who knows? Who can figure it out? I don't think the running backs know. I think they're just, well, I guess it's my turn. I'm going to go take the ball. But I'm going to say that's silly. I'm going to say they go less than 15 because it's a coin flip and I just want to be different than you, I suppose. <laughs> That seems fair. And, and also what I'm not really factoring into this is how many times they actually run Josh Allen on like design runs and stuff and quote unquote, call that the run game. Uh, we, we see that an awful lot where it's like, 
you know, we've thrown 10, 11, 12 times in a row, and then we mix up a run play, but it's Josh Allen five wide spread out and he does the quarterback draw. Um, so, I mean, every, I feel like every time he does one of those, it's going to take, take away one of the carries from a running back. I think Dayball is pretty, pretty stringent in his game plan of how he wants the game to go and like where he wants the touches going. Um, so I feel like overall in his head, it's like 15 to 20 rushes a game is good. And unless they like start blowing out an opponent, we're not going to see much more than that. So I guess for me, it's just a matter of where they come from. And, and like you said, is it going to be Singletary being a lead back? Is it going to be five carries for each? I, I have no idea right now. Yeah. And you're right. Having a lead could affect that number. However, last year, I felt like when we had a lead, we didn't really have enough confidence to give the ball to one of the running backs to try to milk the clock that way. We couldn't do it. We couldn't get a third and short. I mean, we just, we couldn't do it. And I mean, maybe if we have a fourth quarter lead, we don't really know because we've not seen that yet. But what if Reggie Gilliam's in there and we can start getting three, four yards of carry consistently? maybe that changes your whole perspective, but right now I'm very pessimistic. I got to see it, Justin, before I can put any sort of faith into this. Yeah. I, I had a lot of confidence going into the season that, you know, we were going to have not so much more of the balance, but m- I guess more run plays called and more, more effective runs. And granted we have one week of sample size and it's against a good Pittsburgh defense. Um, but I feel like I, I saw a statistic my brother sent me over that Pittsburgh blitzed one time the whole game. So, you know, they're dropping everybody back in coverage and just bring the four. It it seemed like if there was any game where, you know, an opponent was daring us to do some run game stuff and, you know, being able to have the right amount of blockers on the right amount of defenders and all that. It, it seems like this was the type of game where if they were planning on doing it, we would have seen more of it, um, but we we saw him just keep dropping back to pass, and it, it wasn't, you know, overly effective. And we still didn't see much more run game sprinkled in. So as I'm saying this, I'm feeling less and less confident with my 15, but <laughs> I'm gonna stay on the real side. I, that was me with Russo at 12. Yes, I mean, I mean, fine, I'll go with it. <laughs> but uh, we're doing it basically with the same cast of characters that we had last year. And that was always my concern. Like we're expecting to be better. What? Because the five that you want to start are going to play together and that's going to magically make them be middle of the pack. It doesn't really work that way. There's some value to having your starting five together and some continuity, but I think it's overrated. I, I it's non-zero, but it's not going to bring you from, what we were to where we want to be just because, well, they're going to play together and they're all back. It's just not the way it works. We still have very marginal talent on the inside. Yeah. And that's one of the things where you're kind of talking about our first, our, our draft picks this year being, you know, two tackles, two DNs. I kind of wish one of those sprinkled in was a guard or if we were able to get more aggressive in free agency. I know we didn't have a lot of money, um, but Feliciano, I, I love what he does in the locker room. I, I love him as a leader. 
I like his grit, but you know, for, for his calling card being, you know, a really good run blocker and having that physicality. Well, first of all, it's not what we, what we really specialize in, but even at that, I, I don't see many effective runs going behind him anyways. So he was really somebody that I thought was upgradable. You know, we brought back Daryl Williams and Milano and I was all jazzed. And then the, the third re-signing came in. It was Feliciano. I was like, man, that's yeah, fine, I guess. Yeah, he's, he's an okay starter, but I, I don't think we'd really be feeling that much different than we do right now about the offensive line if Sabacher was to have gotten the start on Sunday. I, no, I think it's marginal. Yeah, marginal improvement. And I I remember coming out of the draft and I was slightly disappointed. And I've come around on Rousseau. Now I've over the moon on Rousseau, as you know. I'm I'm all in on Rousseau, but Immediately after the draft, my thoughts were, wow, he really ignored some things. And Levi Wallace, who had a bad game, I mean, he's a good player. Like he was not good against Pittsburgh, and that's not fair to take that sample size. And, and but we had Tommy Doyle, who didn't start. We had Rashad Wild Goose, who couldn't make the roster. We didn't do anything on the offensive line to your point. So after the draft, I was feeling like he really is going kind of cowboy here. And then as time passed, I felt better about it. And now after watching this disastrous first game against Pittsburgh, I'm back to feeling like, well, he really neglected some spots there. Yeah, and, and kind of how I felt after the draft was, okay, you're returning all these starters from last year. I didn't really see how the team was getting better this year, other than you know some of the continuity pieces and whatnot. But you know, we had a team that won 13 games last year. So like, fine, let's run it back. And I kind of got on board with these picks that we made being more, more like future assets and making sure we're sustaining this level and all that. Um, but yes, one, one week sample size, but boy, all off season was I, was I wishing that we had some more competition at cornerback? I uh, wish wishing we had more, competition at guard defensive tackle yeah defensive tackle for sure and it just seems like kind of some of the biggest glaring needs are just going to remain glaring needs and kind of have been and it doesn't give me much hope like going forward I just don't I just don't think that they necessarily see it as enough value in the position and they're kind of going for you know the dns the the wide receivers, the the big impact players. And I don't know how cornerback doesn't fall into that room for them, but maybe yeah. next year. It's almost like he had a choice. If you, if you had to be binary and you had to say draft for now, see what we can do to improve right now at this moment or draft because we're going to have foreseeing some things in the future where we want needs. And he, did the latter. He didn't fill any holes to make last year's team get better. He just thought, well, it was good enough last year. It'll be good enough this year. I mean, that's how I read it. I don't have to be right about that, but that's my thoughts. Yeah. And it, it is nice kind of having the future in mind, but I've also looked at so many teams that look like they're in this deep playoff Super Bowl window. And it just has the potential to, to close so fast. And like, 
yeah, it's nice having a roster that's so talented that you might not be able to fit some rookies starting into the lineup. Um, but it's also kind of like how many teams have you seen that just they get, I mean, look at Houston. What are you talking two, three years ago? We're playing them in the playoffs. They go to the AFC championship game. And and now what are we expecting from them? Two wins. And that's, that's a three-year swing. Um, so it's great planning for the future, but I feel like I wanted a little bit more of the let's seize the opportunity right now as well. Yeah. Yep. So on that, we agree. All right. Justin Goddard, thank you so much for your time. I enjoy this segment every week. We may or may not try to get one scheduled for the following week after this as Vince and Mrs. Taylor will be traveling to both coasts in one week. So doing some podcasts is going to be a little difficult for me. So we'll see what happens. But Justin, thank you so much for your time. Of course. Thanks for having me again. All right. We'll talk at least in a couple weeks, maybe next week. All right. Enjoy your vacation, man. All right. We'll see you. Old Bills. Vince Taylor and Buffalo on the Brain proudly bring to you the Mafia Hot Seat, a built-in Buffalo production. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Be ready. It might be chilly. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. All right. Bill's Mafia. First up in the Mafia hot seat this week, we have another one of my favorites over from the Buffalo Rumblings Network. As I said before, every one of those guys in that network has been so good to me. Jamie D'Amico, welcome to the show. How are you tonight? Brother Vince, thank you so much for having me. And I feel like my microphone is uh, jumping up and down in volume, and I don't know why. I'm doing great tonight. Thank you so much for having me. And for the listeners out there, I have stood Vince up twice on invitations to join him, and he has not cursed me out for it. And frankly, I've got to thank you for being so patient with me. Yeah, I'd never had a bad interaction with everybody, anybody from Rumblings until now. <laughs> I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. Deservedly so. <laughs> Deservedly so. <laughs> uh, Jamie, tell us where we can find your stuff, your show, and your socials. All right. Well, I'm on the uh, Buffalo Rumblings uh, family of podcasts. So you can catch us really anywhere. You can download podcasts or you can go to buffalorumblings.com. I have two shows. Jamie D and Big Newt is one of them. And the other one is Believe, which is hosted by John Boccasino, who's a, a great writer and a podcast host himself. Um, and you can reach me on Twitter at the Jamie D'Amico. It's J A M I E. D-A-M-I-C-O. So chat with me. Reach out to me. This is how Vince and I got to know each other. Hey, who couldn't use some more friends, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Especially Bills fans. I need a bigger Bills Mafia family. <laughs> but yeah, Jamie does great stuff over there, as everybody on the network does. Let's go ahead and get started. Jamie, you're new, so I'm going to give you the rules. I have 10 questions in front of me you just pick a number and i read you the corresponding question and we go from there ah 
Sounds good. I'm going to go with my lucky number nine. Number nine. Okay. I am so glad you picked this one because sometimes I write a good question and nobody picks it and I have to try to <laughs> reuse it for the next week. But <laughs> we all the way back in April of 2021, we had the NFL draft and a lot of Bills fans, myself included, felt like we had to talk ourselves into some of those picks. Now I'm feeling better about Gregory Rousseau, Boogie Basham isn't dressing on game day. We spent a, we didn't upgrade cornerback. Uh, Rashad Wild Goose isn't on the roster at this point. Tommy Doyle's not playing. We had just came off a really bad loss to Pittsburgh. Are you still feeling confident about this draft or have we neglected some spots almost criminally? I never felt great about this draft, to be honest with you. Now, I like what they did as far as bringing in some talent on the offensive line. Unfortunately, they didn't seem to be the positions that were the most needed, which is the interior of the line. Now, I I realized that you take talent where you can get it, and they got some great athletes. Uh, Spencer Brown looks like he could probably turn into a good player. I was never a fan of taking back-to-back defensive ends. And the reason for that is they had signed F.A. Obata to a contract that looked like they were absolutely going to keep Obata on the team. And I just don't feel like it's smart roster construction when you have a couple of glaring needs on the team. And going into the draft, what were we talking about? People were talking about running back for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah, I'm with you there. They were talking about defensive end, pass rush. It was definitely a need. Interior offensive line, guard in particular, tight end, cornerback. There is not much depth at guard or cornerback. Yeah, they're names that we know, but let's say Trey White gets hurt. Then you've got Levi Wallace as your number one corner, and then who? Who's going to step up into the starting role? I mean, Dane Jackson had a couple of splash plays last year, but I don't know that he's the guy who can go out there and and play consistently if they have to rely on him for a few weeks. Once tape gets out there, they're going to realize what he does and doesn't do well, and they're going to attack those weaknesses, much like Pittsburgh did this past weekend uh, uh, against the Bills when they put their big receivers up against uh, Levi Wallace. And we know Wallace has a hard time with big-bodied receivers, and that's what Pittsburgh has. So when they they were lined up man-to-man, that's exactly where they went. So... In summation, I never felt great about the draft to begin with, other than the fact that they drafted great athletes, which in 2020, they drafted football players, not necessarily athletes. And I had a problem with that, too, because I want great athletes in addition to being good players. But, hey, I'm I'm a terminal pessimist. And when it comes to my Bills fandom, unfortunately, I'm always a glass glasses half empty guy and it's by being such a big fan i lose my objectivity i'm the opposite of the person who believes that everything is going to go right and they can do no wrong i'm like oh my god everything's going to go terrible and it's stressing me the hell out so you're the opposite of brother bill (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) uh when the draft happened i immediately like i had i was like you 
I was like, yeah, I don't know. This it felt like we were really neglecting some things. I kind of bought into it a little bit as some time had spaced between, uh, you know, a few weeks had passed since the draft happened, and I was I was kind of eh on Rousseau. Now I'm all in on Rousseau. I love Rousseau. Yeah, but we still neglected the offensive line was not great last year, and I think Josh is able to cover up a lot of those warts. Mm-hmm. It's we're back to we're not. It's the same group out there again. And I thought, okay, well, maybe we're going to add Reggie Gilliam and we're going to add a fullback. I think he played two plays the other day. So yeah. we just completely neglected the most important part of that of, of what we needed to do for the offense, I think. And would you look at the fact that Boogie was selected with uh, a player like Creed Humphrey still on the board who is now starting in Kansas City? If you're starting in Kansas City, and I realize that Kansas City had to completely remake their offensive line, but give them credit. They looked at what was a weakness last year, what really cost them the Super Bowl. Now, the weakness on the offensive line was mostly due to injuries. Um, and they, you know, they were down to two starters by the time the Super Bowl rolled around. But still, they looked at it, they assessed it, and they didn't care as much about continuity as much as they cared about talent. Now, I know the Bills had a high grade on Boogie Basham, but at the same time, like I said, I'm not sure I love the idea behind the roster construction of drafting back-to-back defensive ends when you are very deep at that position as it is. Of course, next year, the Bills are going to be losing Addison. His contract is up. Obata's on a one-year contract. Hughes is getting long in the tooth. But they would still be bringing back four players. Uh, And I just... um, I think that there could have been a better use of their second round pick and also their um, fifth round pick. I I think maybe getting an interior offensive lineman would have been smarter than another tackle. Yeah. And we, I agree with you on the, on the cornerbacks as well. If we have an injury to that spot, we are really bad off, especially if it's Trey, but Mm -hmm. we didn't spend the draft capital that many of us wanted a fifth round pick and Rashad wild goose. Okay. I guess. And now he's not even on the team, at least on the, on the roster. And we didn't talk about defensive tackle either. Cause that is an area that we could have used a little shoring up. Sure. Um, the bills do have some talent there. I, I am more bullish on the defensive tackle position. Um, if, if at Oliver comes around, if, Horrible Harry gets back to the way he played early in his rookie season. I think the Bills are okay there. But let me ask you a question. What would you have done in the draft? Would you have... Well, now, let me ask you a different question. Do you think that Brandon Bean has an ace up his sleeve and has a trade waiting in the wings for some point this season? I mean, I, I, I hate to say hundred percent. No, because it's hard to rule it out. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know who he's talking to. I don't know if he's waiting for someone to have their price drop, you know, that he's got his eye on. I I don't know, but I feel like if that trade was going to happen, it would have already happened, I guess is where I'm leaning to. I wonder because sometimes teams wait until they look like they're out of contention uh, before they're willing to put players on the market. I, I can't help but think that Brandon Bean knows what the weaknesses of this team are 
and is looking to address it. A couple of years ago, when the Bills were having problems with the receivers getting off of man-to-man coverage, you know, he was he was looking at players that he could bring in. He tried to get Stefan Diggs. He was looking at Mohamed Senu. He was looking at uh, Emmanuel Sanders, and none of them were available at the time. But he tried. And as a fan, it's kind of exciting to me when you when you think about potential trades. Yeah, um, you can't rule it out. Right. What is the trend right. deadline? Is it week six? I, they may, I don't know if they moved it back or not, but you know, we still got some time before that could happen. And maybe the way we start off in the first, well, the next three or four games could sh- completely change all that. Maybe the urgency goes up or down. Well, that's true. If the bills come stumbling out of the gate, they're probably less likely to, to make a trade than perhaps it would be if they came out, you know, six and zero. Oh. Um, but you know, this is the window. I I really believe that you know this is probably the season that the Bills have to go all in, put their chips into the middle of the table, and say, "Yeah, we're we're going after it." Yeah. So bringing it back to the original question, I think that's what I would have done differently in the draft. Is you know the Rousseau pick grew on me, and obviously I'm all in on that now. But mm-hmm. we didn't fill anybody on. The, we have the same starting five pretty much as last year now parents are back, but it's the same group of talent, which is kind of marginal in the interior anyway. And I'm including Mitch Morse there. Are you? Yeah. I I'm not a Morse guy. I don't think he's the guy that we paid. I think he's, <laughs> he's declining before our eyes and he's one concussion away from hanging them up for good. So there's a lot of uncertainty there to me on the, on the interior offensive line. And I, I might've drafted a cornerback with our first pick. Yeah, I, I may have done that too because I I wasn't convinced of Gregory Rousseau. Um, although I think he's exceeded everybody's expectations. You know the the book on him was that he only had one season of college experience. So you know, is he going to be ready for the pros? Well, it looks like he is. And I think when you see a quarterback who holds the ball longer than Roethlisberger did, which I think he only held it for an average of like two point three seconds before throwing it. That's not enough time for your defensive lineman to to really get to the quarterback. So somebody who does hold the ball, like Tua, uh, I think Tua had the longest hold time in the NFL uh, last week. So maybe that means we're going to see Rousseau start his journey to defensive player of the year. That would be cool. Your lips to God's ears, Jamie. Let's make <laughs> it happen. Yeah. So, one more question for you. Yeah. I, I think – you have to give Brandon Bean all the credit in the world for the Josh Allen pick. Cause if you can imagine when he made that pick and traded up and gave up those extra assets, like you're all of your scouts, their jobs are on the line. Your head coach's jobs on the line. Like everybody on your staff is banking their job on. That's a lot of pressure. And yeah. he went against the grain big time, but he won. That's a big bet and mm-hmm. a big swing. Is that skewing some of his, confidence in maybe making some of these other picks and reaching Rousseau would, it could be another example of that. Cause I think that might've been a stretch for Rousseau right there. I, I would hate to think that he's gotten cocky because that seemed to work out. I think that they probably have a process in place. They probably listen to their scouts and have a very good feel for what the coaching staff is capable of. One of the most important things in any sport is self-scouting. And I think that 
goes for the front office as well, to be able to scout your your talent analysts. And I I think that they are probably looking at at the same set of criteria now that they did even at the beginning. The one big difference is Dan Morgan isn't with the Bills anymore, and he's considered a great talent evaluator. He left to be the assistant general manager uh, with the uh, Carolina Panthers. So I hope losing him doesn't make a huge difference. But yeah, I don't. I don't think the Josh Allen success is skewing being too much because, well, like like you said, if he had gotten that pick wrong, he'd probably be looking for a new job in a year or two. Anyway, um, I, I think this all it does is it buys him more time, but he needs to continue to have success in order to keep his job. He's got a lot of those developmental type players on the roster. If we want to talk about Dawson Knox, we want to talk about uh, Ed Oliver is a good player, but he's not a top 10 player. Uh, right. Tremaine Edmonds, you know, we can how long how much longer can we keep saying that he's young? So he's yeah. taken some swings there. And right now there's still kind of the books out on a few of them. But I mean, Josh, I think is a big win for him, but he's got some other ones that are at least questionable. Like there's some doubt right now. Well, when you look at teams like Pittsburgh, who have drafted incredibly well through the years and, you know, bringing in guys that are real game changers like um, like Cam Hayward and TJ Watt, uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, they they traded for, but um, yeah, Cameron Sutton is fantastic player, even though he's a kind of a number two corner. Um, I think that's what the Bills thought they were getting with those players, and they haven't developed in the way that you'd like to see them for being picked as high as they were. Um, so I, I I'm with you. You have a collection of nice players, but not great players. And I know, I know Edmonds has made the pro bowl, but if you're going to trade up to about the 15th pick to select somebody, they better be dominant and they better not have many holes in their game. Well, you can't see it because it's a podcast, but I'm over here nodding in agreement. Very vigorously. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think if you say anything approaching negativity about Tremaine, people want to take it all the way to the other extreme, but he's not a great player. He's a fine linebacker. He's good at cleaning things up. He's good rangy, but he doesn't hit hard. He doesn't tackle well, and he doesn't attack. He's just kind of a guy. That's how I feel. I, I think he's better than just a guy. I think he's very good in coverage. I, I think he does he does a great job of getting downfield. Um, and you know, maybe he's miscast a little bit. Maybe the right role for him is outside linebacker. And, you know, that's something that he, I mean, that's the position he played in college. And that's something people have been talking about, uh, really since he was selected. And I know that there's, uh, that there's people out there that say, Hey, he is an all pro outside linebacker. You know, maybe they're just using him wrong um maybe they could make adjustments he seemed to play really well when they had to put aj klein on the field and had aj klein basically playing middle linebacker and uh, Edmonds playing up on the line of scrimmage uh maybe we need to see more of that i'm open to it i i mean i'm i'm not running against him obviously i want him to succeed but of course i think you have to sometimes make the distinction and spell it out for people that 
because I might not believe it's going to happen doesn't mean I'm not rooting for it to happen. But, oh, right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I totally hear you. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people who regularly says that you don't need to be, um, oh, what's the word that I use? <laughs> um, you don't need to be a zealot in order to be a fan. Um, you, you can be objective uh, about things and say, this is what they do. Well, this is what they don't do well. And still, still be a big Bills fan, which you obviously are. Well, thank you. <laughs> That's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Jamie D'Amico, do you have anything else for me? No, I don't think I do. Other than thank you so much for having me on. It's really been a lot of fun and you, uh, you've got a great show. I enjoy listening to it. And I think everybody out there needs to uh, make sure that they, that they program you and save and uh, hit the like button too. Well, I'm no Jamie D'Amico, but I'm going to try. <laughs> uh, you don't need to be. <laughs> yeah. No, I uh, obviously I enjoy your stuff. That's why I reached out and uh, you've been good to me. So appreciate it. And maybe we'll do it again later this season. Yeah, definitely. Anytime you want. I'm uh, I'm more than happy to join you. All right. Thank you, sir. Enjoy the rest of your night. Thank you. Bye-bye. Ladies and gentlemen, next up on the hot seat is a returning guest. One of my favorites. That's why I keep having him back. BFF Jeremy over from the Buffalo bootleg on the Fanatics Network. Jeremy, what's going on? Thank you so much. Always happy to be here. Um, it's like being invited to the cool kids party. Just I'm happy to be here. So thank you so much for always bringing me back. Man, you are the cool kids. I'm inviting mm -hmm. you to my party. <laughs> I listen to your episodes and I see all the other people you're bringing on and I'm just like, Oh wow. Like it, it just makes me feel uh, even cooler. So thank you. So I've not tallied up the guests that have been on the most, but I think it might be you and Zach. Um, um yeah, I think this is my third or fourth. Yeah. I think, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe one of you has been on one or the other or more, but you guys have to be the mm. leaders. Well, I definitely have to, be more than him so if we can manufacture that let's do it so we'll hang up this one and then we'll do another one and that'll count as two if we can okay let's do it. <laughs> all right you know the drill i have all 10 questions in front of me except number nine okay so one through ten besides number nine um let's go with i'm pretty sure davis webb's number i want to say number seven is he number seven <laughs> I actually don't know the answer to that. Who that cares? Seems right. I'm it going with right. number seven. Doug Flutie's number. Yeah. Okay. I think you I was, and I just talked about this on your podcast. It's being current. Oh, did we? Yeah. So, right now the Bills are 0-1. Mm -hmm. We lost a scrappy game to Pittsburgh mm -hmm. that maybe we should have won if yeah. we don't get the block punt. That was uh, probably the difference. We're going in to Miami. In Miami this Sunday to face the dolphins who already have one division game under their belt. If they beat us this week, they will be and two with essentially a three game lead. So this early in the season, week two, Jeremy, is this a must win game? Um, we did talk about this and for people who listen to your show, not mine, I would say, why not? We're like, we're like, like brother podcasts in a way. Um, 
we're like we're like Eskimo Brother podcast, if you understand the reference. Follow the league, yes. Yes. Um, it is mostly, I mean, someone was bringing up a statistic. It's like teams that start off 0-2 have like a 12% chance of, you know, making the playoffs. Um, I instantly, and coincidentally, you live in Indianapolis. Your wife and my wife are both Colts fans. Um, the first year with Frank Reich, they, I think they started off like one in five, but I think they started off like one in five, right? And then they went like on a, a string of like nine or 10 wins. So you always have that to look forward to. And we know what this offense is capable of. So if we started off 0 and 2, yeah, like that would be a bummer. But you trust that this offense can get um, back to where it was. However, with a little more context, going against a division rival who already has a win against another division rival. And I mentioned that I was listening to other Bills podcasts with Dolphins fans or podcasters. And they had said, this is Alf Arteaga on the Rock Power Report podcast was saying that if he believes if they start off 2-0 that they can absolutely win the division because, again, after this second game, they have like a string of winnable games, like the next six to eight games or something they think is very winnable. And you go to us, and we have like the Bucks and the Chiefs. Like coming up, we have the Washington football team who, you know, doesn't look like a slouch. Um, so, yeah, I think when you take into context, I, I think we need to win this game. Absolutely. I think it will lift a lot of spirits and like i said as far as like the um the, the division goes and I, yeah it's a must win game for sure yeah that's a that's a really great point jeremy thank you for bringing that back to frank reich in that one and five start because i had forgotten about that and I, of course i know it's possible right so it's game two we have 15 games left to play but all the expectations we had on this team Going 0-2, certainly, as much as we want to say that it shouldn't affect anybody and they'll just go and they'll bounce back and, and they're professionals, I think it I think it does affect you. I think mm-hmm. it does get to you. And I don't know, uh, 0-2, you're chasing essentially a, a three-game lead, but you're chasing all year instead of being at the top. And that's a different mentality too, I think. Uh, yeah. I have never... You might not know this about me, Jeremy, but I have never actually been a professional football player. Uh, okay. I'm going to need a minute to process this. Uh, but I, I mean, I'm not a sports psychologist either. I'm, I know I'm just overloading you with knowledge. I feel like you probably, you're not a, you're not a sports psychologist, but let's be honest. It's, it's not hard. Right. I mean, I watched Ted Lasso recently and it doesn't seem that difficult. You know, <laughs> I'm just, I'm not, I'm jokingly shitting on another occupation. I'm not, I'm not serious to people who listen to your show. They, they should know what I'm about. Sorry. <laughs> no, no worries. No worries. But I, I do think that stuff matters in maybe, I mean, maybe game to game, week to week, you're just focused on your day. And, and maybe there are some players that can get through that, but I have to think there are also some players that, if Josh has a few bad games in a row, does he start to press and feel the stress, especially after he just signed that huge contract? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. You know he's, he's a human being. And it's, and this is a, a dolphin scene that he has found a lot of success with. So imagine if like 
like you said, after signing that contract and then losing week one, and then if he, you know, ends up losing to the Dolphins, like, is he just like, oh my God, like, what do I do? <laughs> like, what if he just has like a existential crisis, you know? And people might be saying like, oh, they're professional athletes. You can't be talking about that. And to that, I say, you never know. <laughs> um, I, I don't want to speak that out, out into existence, you know, but I think we, we've seen Josh, like he gets, he gets jitters. He gets a little nervous and, and that's fine. So I don't think it's a stretch to worry about like his, uh, his mental makeup and these kind of things. Yeah. I mean, 15 games is a long time and, and things can certainly change. Like, and to be fair, like nobody's expecting the dolphins to win the AFC East. And I think even if they start off two and O, I still mm-hmm. would put money on them, not winning the AFC East uh, yeah. because I, I don't believe in Tua. Yeah. If they started two and O, um, I would think, okay, like you still have to play us and the Patriots two more times and we're a good team. The Patriots are a better team. And, you know, the Jets, you give them a little pat on the head and say thanks for coming um, right now. You know, good for them. Thanks for being a part of everything. But but yeah, they, they have to play us both one more time. And I don't think it's guaranteed. Um, they might have... And you can say, like, sure, maybe the Dolphins go and have a string of of wins after starting off to you know like that's fine like look how well you guys played in week 17 when your season was on the line um if you get that far ahead can you hold it you know yeah no i i agree i i got kind of talked down to a little bit when i told uh the dolphins fans that i i thought they might finish like nine wins and they think they had 10 wins last year and they're a better team than they were last year yeah i guess that could be true but you still have Tua as your quarterback. By the way, Will uh-huh. Fuller may or may not play this year. I don't know what's going on with him. Yeah, uh, news. You, like you said, they have Tua as a quarterback, and your I'm sorry, your first win, you had, what, 17 points on offense? And as, you know, going to, back to the Bills, not the 2019 season, like we know what it's a, we remember having a really good defense and an offense that where you desired more. So, Again, like if you're winning game scoring 17 points, like we can tell you firsthand, like you're you're gonna want more and you can't get that comfortable because when we were scoring and when our offense wasn't great and we had a great defense, I don't think we went into the offseason like that confident. That's a great point. We did make the playoffs <laughs> that year, just, but we got some lucky bounces along the way. But we couldn't score a touchdown against the Jaguars. It was 10 to three, I think. And we had first and goal on like the two yard line. and couldn't get a touchdown. And Oh, well, I was talking about the following um, Josh's second season. We're off. Where we, we weren't much defense. better. Yeah, that's right. right. We had a good defense in our offense. Again, it was just, eh, it wasn't that great. Our defense was just so good. Um, so I, I was referencing that season. Sorry. It's the same. Right. Concept. Yeah, yeah absolutely. To <laughs> score three points, one, and then, Again, the the, def, um, the Texans game where it was just again great first half, but so yeah, to the Dolphins fans, I'd be like, hey, pump your brakes. Um, you know, I you look at to his stats, and I say look at his stats because I didn't watch the game, but it, <laughs> it it's not wasn't super impressive. Um, I'd be more worried with uh, Will Fuller healthy, but we just learned that he's um, not going to be playing and. 
and, and apparently someone says he may never play uh, down for the Dolphins this season, um, which is sad. It's like, are you guys, are, are the Jets rubbing off on you? <laughs> yeah. You are the company you keep. Mm-hmm. But has there been a bigger waste of talent than Wolf? And maybe not all of it's his fault. I don't know what's going on with him right now. There's some personal quote, personal issues, but I mean, the injuries he had, and then last year, what I think was a drug suspension. Mm-hmm. And that guy was just super talented. Like when he, like the, the ratio of catches to touchdowns on him was just ridiculous. Yeah. Well, that, that might be the Dolphins brand because like, as I was saying, um, was it, is it Devonte Parker? I was listening to another podcast and they were saying like, he was coming out as like a untapped gem, but he's like had all these issues and stuff like that. He's pretty good. I, I wouldn't mind having him on the team. Um, yeah, I, I give him a healthy amount of respect, but he's no mm-hmm. Diggs or Beasley or Sanders. I would, I wouldn't yeah. take him over those three. Yeah. And you know, Jalen Waddle, you know, he's a, first round wide receiver like i will respect him regardless um mike gasecki can sometimes he's he's embarrassed us in the past um you don't know what he's going to do but uh yeah i i guess it goes back to it's like well it's patrick's not their quarterback anymore it's it's tua so and, and you and i talked about this i won't get like overly confident i won't get too optimistic but <laughs> I just, he's just not very threatening. And when it comes to those kind of quarterbacks, um, I kind of trust McDermott and Leslie Frazier and their defense. And I think I I put more thought on the Dolphins defense, I think, than their offense. What if Tua suffered a seizing ending injury this week and then Brissett takes over? Um, Oh, yeah, that could be even more worrisome. Like, even then, I mean, I think they get better. Brissette's a—that's what people say. I mean, why isn't Brissette a starter then? I he, think this... he started off very good for the Colts that one season. He came back from an injury, wasn't the same as we just—I mean, haven't really seen him. I mean, where? Why isn't he starting now? I don't know. Where do you think he would have gone as a starter? I mean, if he was as good, then you would have thought with such a close game against the Patriots, like wouldn't Flores have brought him in the? the fourth quarter to take over for Tua. Yeah. It's, he's losing a step. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I just think it, I think Brissett's probably better. I, I think he's underrated. Now I'm not saying mm-hmm. he's top half of the league and he's a starting quarterback, but he's, he's probably the lower tier starting quarterback. When but, they brought him in, I think for a player too, right. Was it for some, was it was like uh for some QB sneak plays or something? I saw he was on the stat line last week. Oh, I, I have to put my podcast together after the bills play. So I don't get to watch a lot of other games. Okay. Uh, but no, I did not. I did not watch that. But they did bring him in. And I, and it makes me think of how the Colts brought in Jacoby Brissett for like, I think it was hell Mary's because they just knew that Philip Rivers couldn't do it. Um, so I saw that Brissett had a couple snaps and again, I, I didn't watch the game. I don't know what it's for, but it makes you think that they brought, it's like they had to bring him in for something to like make up for, to his shortcomings, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, like I said, I'm nothing against Brissett. Um, and nothing against Tua, you know, I, I know they're a division rival. The, the dolphins are like a division rival that I dislike the least. Everybody has their reasons for who they hate the most. For me, it's like the Patriots number one, obviously. And then it's the jets because I just feel like they're, 
their Twitter fans are way more annoying. Um, and then it's the Dolphins. So I really don't have anything against them. I think it's very cool. You know, he had a big injury and I definitely would like, like to see him like overcome that and have a career. I just don't want him to be successful against us. Yeah. When he was drafted, like he just seems like a nice enough kid. He's got that yeah. nice smile. Like he's, he's, he looks easy to like. Yeah. Until the Dolphins signed. drafted him. And I was like, you know what? Fuck you. <laughs> right. He gets signed and he buys his mom like a house and a car or something. It's like, that's really cool. Like he'll have to see that. Um, so yeah, like I said, I have, not, I have nothing against them. Um, and I kind of mentioned in my joking article, it's like, what are, you know, can Bills fans come up with like something new to make fun of 204? Because we like to go after him. Like I said, his play style isn't very threatening. Um, as an outsider, somebody who doesn't follow the Dolphins, people will talk about his accuracy. It's like, yeah, that's great. Um, I heard on a recent podcast that his quarterback rating when it's like a, I think like a clean pocket versus like seeing pressure just like gets cut in half. So, yeah, like I, I hear a lot of things about him that I will say, yeah, it makes me glad he's not my quarterback. Um, and like I said, I don't want to see success against him, but it, it'd be, you know, I, I root for him in a sense to overcome this injury and, you know, have some success. I mean, your first round pick, so you're making money because of that. So if you're smart, that can last you, but <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's, that's it, I guess. Okay. So <laughs> nothing else on Tua. Okay. We ran that one into the ground. I think um, I yeah, I, I guess Dolphins fans I mean, are not very high on their offensive line. They're one more very... thing about Tua. I'm sorry. Yeah. Before we, before we move on, he, he's Hawaiian or, um, I don't, I don't know his exact ethnicity, but he gets to show up wearing like, I, I don't know what it is. It's, it's not a dress. It's not a skirt, but it's kind of like that. Do you know what, do you know what you would call it? No, I no, but, it, but I'm jealous. I'm like, that's cool. I wish I could wear that, you know, jeans and pants are so hot. Like, I don't know what he, he gets to wear. I was like, that's cool. That's awesome. You could try I it. I don't know that it would. I mean, you could try it. Um, you might... I'm not about I'm not about cultural appropriation, so I won't. But okay, good call. Good as call. I, you know, I'm envious of his uh his ethnicity. Like he gets to wear those really cool things. I think that's awesome. I wish I could do it, but I'm not. I can't again. Not about the appropriation, so I won't. So you wouldn't wear a kilt either. Um, I'm not Scottish enough for that. So what is the threshold? Uh, I mean, you gotta like have enough to where it's like your parents are saying this is where we come from and this is why we do it. You know what I mean? If you're just like, Oh, I did a 23 and me and I'm 7% Scottish. I'm put, I'm ordering a kilt <laughs> tomorrow. That's I wouldn't do that. <laughs> okay. To me, it's uh, like your parents have to like instill those values in you enough to do it. Back to Tua. <laughs> we, we took a long walk there, didn't we? we did. uh, back did back that. to Tua. The offensive line, the Dolphins fans are not very uh, confident. They don't like Austin Jackson, who I think they drafted last year. They 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 like one of their guards, and I'm I'm kind of generalizing here. I, there are probably Dolphins fans that disagree with it, but overall, they don't like their offensive line. We have got better, I think, with Obata and with Grusso, and mm-hmm. you know, Big Ben was getting rid of the ball real quick last week. 
Yeah. Two is not that guy. Now I, he wasn't that guy against the Patriots. So yeah. if that's where he's going to be this week, I smell disaster. I think I, I made a mistake. I mentioned how Tua's QBR is cut in half when he faces pressure. I don't think that's it. I think it was actually it's cut in half when he gets the ball out in like less than two and some change seconds and more. I think it was that. So sorry about that. My mistake. Um, you know, this is another, like you said, it's another offensive line that the apparently Dolphins fans are not thrilled about. I don't know how fast two gets the ball out. I can tell you. Um, and I would think with Wolf Fuller out their receiving options are mm, probably not as good as Steelers, probably less. Again, with Wolf Fuller, they have, I know they still have a Jalen Water, uh, Waddle. Um, Devontae Parker's up, Mike Kosecki. So, I mean, they still have a, a decent choice, but I don't know. So, I feel like we're going to give us another offensive line. Again, I don't know how fast Tua can get the ball out. I heard that he was trying to be very aggressive last week and was actually taking some deep shots. You know, go for it. But, um, yeah, so it, it'll kind of be interesting to kind of to see how this week plays out. Okay. All right, Jeremy, anything else? Hmm. Um, I'm curious. Did you're, You said you're part of a podcast where you were talking to Dolphins fans, right? Yeah, they had me on theirs uh, this past week, and then they were on mine, I think, last week, on um, last Monday. Did they have any thoughts or feelings on any of their coaches? Like Brian Flores, their their dual offensive coordinators. Anything on them? I'm curious. Uh, they were they, they didn't seem very high on Chan Gailey. Well, he's um, gone. Yeah, he, I mean, they were talking about like last year, and, and right. in support of Tua, that was one of the things that they wanted to say. But because that offense was built for Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, mm-hmm. okay, are you telling me your first round quarterback can't throw the ball like Ryan Fitzpatrick? Well, that's <laughs> I mean, weird because like Ryan Fitzpatrick was winning. And then they gave the offense to Tua. So to say like, oh, well, the offense was planned for Ryan Fitzpatrick. It's like, eh, it kind of seems like Flores had it in his head when the uh, the keys were going to change hands. You know what I mean? So I, I kind of like that. I, I don't really buy that excuse. It's like, oh, this offense was built for Ryan Fitzpatrick. And then Tua was just suddenly threw, thrown in. And the OC, Chan Getty, was just not prepared for it. Like, I don't really get that. That makes sense. Yeah, but I, I I'll have to look up how they started, but I don't think they started very well. They might have started something like two and three or one and four, something like that, didn't they? They did. They started off a little low, but then they won like uh, like three in a row. I feel like with Fitzpatrick, and then Brian Flores was like, "Oh, now two is coming in," and then they actually won like five or six in a row with like two. Like those numbers do not add up. Don't look those yeah. up because I think that comes out to like I'm just eight making or up nine. my data. No, but like Ryan Fitzpatrick won like a couple in a row and they brought in Tua who did well. So I, I'm i sorry, if you're an offensive coordinator, you know you have a number one drafted quarterback like on the bench. And then all of a sudden the coach is like, all right, Tua's going to start next week. And you're an offensive coordinator like, oh, I, I have no playbook planned for him like or strategy. That doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. What have you been doing? I mean, I know. Yeah. And by the way, we didn't have a preseason, so I don't know. Yeah. 
Right. Like, like I said, it's like, what have you been doing? It's like, well, I, I just thought Fitzpatrick would play the whole season. You know, it's like, no, no, come on. <laughs> you had to be prepared for two. It's like, I just, yeah, I was just chilling. Sorry, collecting that paycheck, I guess. So that whole, the playbook was designed for Ryan Fitzpatrick. Eh, miss me with that. Yeah, it's it's definitely odd. Yep. Get okay. Here, fans. Yeah, that's right. See it how I'm okay. holding my glass all fancy? I'm like <laughs> talking, a, talking about Car- Carter. Oh. Like a middle school professor. Do you need like a tweed jacket? Oh, man. If I could find one. I don't even that, know what a tweed jacket is. I know just the thing that you're supposed to say, but I don't know what that actually is. You don't know is. what one is? No. Oh, tweed with the elbow pads. And um, I bought a blazer from Target because it was on sale for like 20 bucks. I was like, this is a teacher's jacket I need. But uh didn't get that much use out of it. But yeah, tweed jacket with the elbow pads. I haven't come across one yet. What about what about a pipe? A pipe? Um it would have to be a bubble pipe, <laughs> which I'm not a smoker. I don't care for it. You I should say it's... something like really profound and intelligent, and then you just blow the bubble. Yeah, when I get the tweed <laughs> jacket, I will definitely look for the bubble pipe. And I'm just like, kids, look at here. Uh, you know, the slope is a ratio of two quantities of a independent value variable over a dependent variable, and then <laughs> just bubbles. <laughs> it's like, don't pop them. They'll get in your eyes. It'll sting. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Anyways, this All is right. going to take, are you going to edit this down? This took yes. up almost 26 minutes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's don't, a lot of this that I need to take out, but don't I'm cut out, fun, so. Don't cut out the bubble part. That was, <laughs> that's up there. You cut out the part where we talked about you know, the Dolphins defense. That's that's nonsense. You put in the bubble part. <laughs> that's right. That's right. The tweed jacket and the bubble oh. pipe. Okay. This is why, like I said, we're, we're Twitter BFFs, right? Am I wrong to say that? <laughs> yeah, we are. We are, man. You're my guy. I'm a, I'm a Jeremy I fan. Don't, I, told, I don't want to uh, say it. I don't want to say it. And you'd be like, oh, you're, we're friends? Like, no, okay. I told, uh, I, I told Pierre, I was like, Jeremy's my favorite dude. Love that guy. But um, Nap and Casey and uh, I'm, I'm why am I drawing blanks on their names? Uh, Tilton and uh, Mathis are good to me too. So oh man, yeah, Tilton and Mathis, they uh, those guys are amazing. They do so much. Just leave this part in as well because, like I said, those guys are awesome. Um, Nap and Casey. Casey is finally getting his regular job back because he's all about fantasy and betting. And then the off season happens and he's just worthless. So, you know, it's cool that he can be, uh, he can contribute now. So leave that in as well. So Casey knows that he's pretty useless half the time. (laughs) This is his least useless half, right? So that's fair to say. It's not even half. It's like two thirds. So he's, you know, the football season's like four months, right? That's a quarter. Um, is it? Oh God, I'm a math teacher. Fuck my life. Uh, Wait, that's four months is a, is a quarter. A yeah. So that, that means he's useless. A, a third, oh, no. three months is a quarter. Four months. Is that's a right. 
edit out where we had to work out that math. <laughs> Start where we where we had it right the first time. So Casey is great for a third of the season. And then the other two thirds, he has to slum it on Nap knows Buffalo. And even Nap has publicly stated he hates Casey. He talks about it all the time. They're, he's terrible. So Casey, he's hilarious, though. He's very funny. And he just had a daughter. Good for him. Um, I'm hearing she doesn't like him very much. Rumors. I don't know. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> you got a lot of editing to do. You're going to make yeah. this work, though. There's so much gold in here. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> nah, I, try, no, I can't fine. be consistent. I just, I'm like a pulse. I spike and then I dip and I spike and then I dip. It's a lot what, of editing. What are you drinking? Um, I'm just drinking a, a ballast point grapefruit sculpin. I think it goes well with a tweed jacket. Ooh, it does. And for those of you who don't like fruit in your beer, I I love IPAs and I was always like a grapefruit grapefruit would go great with an IPA. And then they made one. And that just shows how smart I am, but I just I don't do anything with it. <laughs> All right. BFF uh, Jeremy. <laughs> I'm going to be listening to this so hard to see what you kept and what you didn't. <laughs> I'm going to cut a lot of it out, but I'm having fun. So it's fun. Oh man. At least there's like some outtakes after the, uh, the outro. That's like actually a good. I that's a good idea. I've never done like, that. Like Marvel it up, do some post-credit scenes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. BFF Jeremy over from the Buffalo bootleg. One of my favorite dudes in the Bills Mafia. And Jeremy, tell everybody where they can find your stuff and your socials. Ooh, yes. You can find me on Twitter at BFF underscore Jeremy. And I'm, I'm, I almost feel like I'm very quiet on Twitter because I always like see these topics and conversations generated where somebody asks a question and then I want to comment. And then I see somebody else comment my view already. And I'm just like, oh, I don't want to add to it. So I feel like I don't say a whole lot as far as the bills go on Twitter. But I save everything for the podcast, which is the uh, Buffalo Bootleg, which you can find on all platforms, thanks to the Buffalo Fanatics, because I wouldn't know how to do that. And um, I have a new co-host named Hansel, and uh, he's, he's been a really good addition. So he's going to bring some more um, like football IQ to the show, which is awesome because I love that um, because I'm just so smart everywhere else. I just, I, I needed that. So that's good. But thank you so much for having me. Like, this is so much fun. I'm so sorry for all the editing you have to do. <laughs> no, my pleasure, my man. And man, what a terrible co-host Hansel. Come on, man. It's like your third <laughs> week and you're already giving up. Hey, this is, it's timing. He had, again, he had to, he had to go somewhere. All right. I know. I'm just kidding. I'm just giving him our time, but all right. Jeremy, it's always fun. You're one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite guests. I mean that sincerely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. I love being here. All right. Have a good night. You too. All right, Bills Mafia. That is it. That is all I have for you this week. Please remember, next week will be no hot seat. It'll be a much shorter version of this show as Mrs. Taylor and I are traveling to both coasts in the same week. Lots of traveling going on. I'll try to get back into the groove the following week. 
But until next week, please be kind to everybody around you. Please wear a mask and squeeze somebody close to you. Go Bills. This right here, this rambling, boring conversation containing already made before observations, this could be a podcast. Uh, it's actually not a bad idea. Here we are. I'm out of my third Pro Bowl. We're talking about our idiot podcaster who got liquored up and ran his mouth off. So what has the sports world come to? We're talking about idiot podcaster. He is ruined podcaster for life. Acres and Vinatieri, these guys are great guys. They've been getting killed all week because our idiot ran his mouth. So when I get home, I'll deal with it. Tony and I talk about it. It's kind of funny, really, when you think about it. If he is still a teammate, we'll deal with it. You know, it remains to be seen. But the sad thing is, Lynn, he's a good podcaster. But he's an idiot. If you were not absolutely satisfied with this podcast episode, please contact your state senator or the postmaster general. Please be sure to mention, Vince Taylor said that you are a big fucking cryass. Boy, I'm sure glad that's over with. Me too. Yeah, but you know, I learned something today. Just when you think this show is terrible, something wonderful happens. What? It ends. <laughs> It's over. Go home. Go. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.